0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode nine of the High Bar Podcast. I know we have had a very long hiatus. We apologize. We are going to get on a more consistent schedule with this. As always, my name is Sean Noriega, and tonight I am joined by my fantastic coaches, Chance Mitchell and Aiden Rader. What is going on, guys? It's good to see you. What's up, dude? What's up? Good to see you. I know. So, okay. We have missed out on the pretty much entire 2022 powerlifting landscape. We have not discussed any of the major events that have happened because we have not been on here, and there is a lot to touch on. Um, worlds, nationals, with the most relevant thing, I think, to be talking about is that we literally have a world champion on the podcast right now, which, it Aiden, you were at the gym with me, right, when, when Chance won, right? Like we yeah, were watching we were at- it.
1: We were at Fighter Quit. We had a we had a TV up, uh, like in the gym, and it was it was just pretty surreal uh, watching Chance become a world champ there.
0: Dude, it was so so. We literally had like if you had a like if you had a scene in a movie where you just had a family like struggling around a little tiny TV <laughs> like that's what Mike had set up. Like we just pulled it out, the fucking wires dangling, just this little TV sitting on the bench where like everyone was throwing their bags. And, you know, I think we started watching you on, I don't think it was at the start of deadlifts. I think it might've been a little bit earlier than that, but obviously it was incredibly close going into polls. And then I just remember, well, I'll let, I'll let Chance talk about it in, <laughs> in more detail since he's the one who obviously competed in it, but it was honestly one of the most surreal moments watching in my powerlifting career, you know, because one, like Chance fucking one. Two, it's, you know, um, John Keiko that he's going up against, the, the guy who doesn't miss. But then finally, it's just like I've known Chance since I started powerlifting. And I started powerlifting with Chance in my weight class. Like we met each other at 2015 Nationals for the first time. And back then, we're just like, you know, kind of strong dudes, but like we were not we were just people in the sport, right like there was no and I talked about this on a podcast I did the other day. It's like when you get to a certain level in the sport, like you're in the sport, but you're also like this separate entity from the sport where you like you preside alongside it and and you have this this influence or this like air around you when you get to a certain level and I just remember being like a, a fanboy or a a just casual you know. Raw Nationals attendee, and Chance was pretty much in the same boat coming from USPA. So to like sit there and see that all unfold and be confirmed, it, it really was, and I'm sure it still is surreal for you, Chance, but I literally was just watching the TV like, holy fuck, like he did it. This is unbelievable. So I'll stop rambling. Chance, I mean, we'll let you go into the details, but what the fuck, man? You so first thing...
2: Bro, I mean, the first thing is back then in 2015 nationals, you were still a rel- You were a much higher level 83 than I was. So back then I was even I was not up to that that grade. So for me, like, it has been this huge buildup. Um, and you know, I went up to 93. I think it was the year after that, so 2016, mm-hmm. um, and just been steady. You know, plugging away there. Um, it is very nice to hear the the. The kind of the situation of you guys actually at the gym watching it, you know, huddled over. Uh, I can kind of picture that in my head. One of the things that I was going to say is that, um, did you actually know like the full context of what's happening if you only started on like bench or deadlift? You did you hear about the misses and all that so, of
0: stuff? So, we started watching the meet from the very beginning, but we mm-hmm. were at the Airbnb watching on the Airbnb TV, and then we had to go train. So, on the drive there i think there was like an intermission and then when we got to the gym i think you guys were either just finishing bench and then starting pulls but we saw the whole thing from beginning nice. to end
2: yeah because i was gonna say is like you you may have watched like the opener squad and you're like shit and then you're like watch the second attempt and i miss because originally it was a miss um and you're like well fuck like maybe we'll just go to the gym and start training and just we'll pick it up later <laughs> that's that's kind of the thought process where it's like this is such a, a scary situation to be the you know fan of watching this specific lifter. You're know, like this shit's going downhill. Um, where you know by the time Dedla comes around, you're like oh shit, okay. You know it's this chances only down by twenty something kilos, twenty seven or something. Um, he's a really good shot of, of winning. Uh, so you know very cool to hear that. Um, did you triple check to see that I I won for sure? <laughs>
0: Oh, (laughs)
2: versus Powerlifting America.
0: Yeah. So, so with, uh, with this time around, luckily we didn't have to rely on the announcers, right? Because we actually had like reliable, like live stream, you know, with the IPF graphics down at the bottom telling you what's going on. Um, but yeah, I, (laughs) I remember at Powerlifting America, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Ryan Lapidat was announcing And after chance made his third poll was, I guess thought that you had won and through his theatrics of announcing definitely made it seem like you won. And immediately, as soon as it happened, I was like, Holy fuck. Like he beat him at powerlifting American nationals. And i go to Instagram and I'm like, he fucking did it. He fucking did it. And then I'm like, Oh no. He Bro, you weren't left. the only one, man.
2: Like you, there were so many people that posted like a story of me at hierarchy America nationals on my third poll. He won, he won, he won. Chance I'm so proud of you. I can't believe you did it after all this. They're like that type of yeah. thing. And like, I don't have the heart to tell them to be like, Hey, like I, it was a nice poll, Like I got it. I didn't win though. No. But um, so yeah, I got so many of those, but then after this, like when it's legit, you see the graphics, you see everything. Um, yeah. It was, it was very surreal hard to believe even afterwards that like the ipf graphics and shit them putting up like chance mitchell world like dude (laughs) like like in my head just like tears like i i I just very emotional i i did i tried everything not to cry like i wanted to cry you didn't cry no not at all No, no no it was it was weird because it was like it's such a, it, the meat is fast. I mean, you've done worlds, right? Like you remember how fast it goes by yeah. so before the time, you don't have any time to process it. You're just going through it. It's like, Oh shit. Okay. I'm listening to the, the um, USA, you know, Anthem everything is just like done so quickly by the time I'm, you know, finished, I'm getting, you know, your urinal- analysis, your analysis and blood tested, all that kind of stuff. Um, but no, it's crazy. <laughs> Still crazy now. It's like yeah. a couple weeks after.
0: Yeah, I feel like I feel because like I've obviously, you know, been been competing in this weight class and, and been, you know, two for so long. And I've always had like these thoughts in my mind of like what how I would react if I did win. And I feel like I 100% would cry, but I could see how like, especially on like the podium, for example, you like re-enter the zone and it's just like, all right, this is all happening. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, it would be like the moment I win, I would cry. And then I would settle and then like maybe like a day later, like it would re-hit, right? Like it would just go in a wave like that. Um, but fuck, man. Yeah, it was, it was crazy because, I mean, you obviously know, the people listening maybe don't know, but Chance didn't have to pull for the win, right? So <laughs> yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a situation where John Keiko attempted, I think it was what, 345 or 350? 350, yeah. 350 and missed... And that gave chance the win. What was going through your head after that point? Because obviously, it's a situation where it's like you've won, and now that opens the door for this major cathartic release. But it's also, I have a pull coming up, and that pull is a world record deadlift attempt. Like, did you did you find yourself like losing focus on the pull? Did you? Not like entertain the win when it happened? Like, how did you respond to, to that? So,
2: there was a video that uh, I think it was Jurens, the 83 um, from the UK. He, he recorded me talking to Arian. And like, after Keiko missed, we kind of like, oh shit, like, that was it. And Arian's like, chance you won, chance you won. And I'm just like, oh, okay, like, you know, not still not processing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like four out and then I went up there and that was it. I, I didn't really lose focus. Um, the whole, the whole need, was so not good. <laughs> like, I mean, the, from the, the judging, you know, being very strict and, and a lot of people overseas, I've listened to these other podcasts, uh, talking about like Americans and they're like, Oh, these Americans don't even know what real, you know, testing, uh, like meat standards are so they're not used to it and this is normal this is they're like from their perspective oh this is all normal test meat uh, meet standards all this is the same right and so like for me i'm kind of trying to give them a little bit of credit there where i'm like yeah you know maybe it is you know that issue um but it was it was tough the, yeah. the standards for sure were a little tough um my squats felt pretty deep and then i still got you know reds um and then on deadlift the flooring just being mangled um, that was a huge issue and I don't have no idea why it was that bad because we've we've had meets where, you know, it's a four or five day thing um, and the, the platform wasn't as beat up, but for whatever reason, it was a mess, man. So the whole time it was just kind of like, okay, what do I have to do to, to get ready for this deadlift? So I have to either have them move it in the back or the front, that kind of thing. Um, and then by the end of that, I was like, okay, well, this is it. three eighty three, go out there. And uh, I got really forward. Um, so that was one of the things is like getting rehydrated and recomping in a very short time. Like the, the two hour weigh-in was really like an hour 40. Yeah. And I tried to get as much fluids as I possibly could, which ended up bloating me a little bit. So my deadlifts were a little off because of that. Um, and so that made an issue. But besides that, nah, it was fine. I mean, I, I needed that 383 to to place above Taylor in the... Uh, points for best lifter mm-hmm. but it actually is good that i missed it because now my world record total is lower for sheffield yeah now i have a better chance to bump that percentage up and place higher at sheffield
0: yeah that's such an interesting thing to even consider i know i know taylor was talking about that obviously he was you know injured so there's a a large gap between what he was doing and then what his records could potentially be but mm-hmm. i mean i guess that that worked out in your favor for sure cuz now you have so many numbers to play with whereas you know you hit that 383 and it's like well like you know you're going to keep progressing but it's like how much can you really add at that point where now there's you know yeah dozens of kilos in your favor um but it's interesting what you said about the judging cuz like it is it is definitely I've seen, I've seen very fair judging at IPF worlds, you know, like the year that I coached, um, you know, Daniela in, in 2019 and 2018, very fair judging, at least during her sessions. And then I've seen like really strict stuff and strict stuff on like the, the little things, right. It's like the thumb touching the bar or like the elbows, like coming near the legs. It's like, those are just things that I'd agree like in the U S like people just don't care to look out for them. And like, Maybe I'm biased. I just don't think it fucking matters. Like it's just stupid that that's even a thing we care about. The thumb like, I remember,
2: thing is weird too. Yeah. Like I,
0: yeah, I remember. I mean, at at Worlds 2018, dude, they made Joseph Pena re rack a squat. It was like 400 kilos or whatever it was because they said all of, of his fingers weren't in contact with the bar. And I think. At the time, he used like a thumbless grip. It was like a very weird situation where like everything looked completely normal from the observer standpoint, but the judges are just such sticklers where they're like, "Oh, on this technicality, that's not right." He had to re-rack the bar with like 400 kilos, and then had to un you know re-unrack it and then attempt it with like four seconds left on the clock or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's ridiculous stuff. if uh, that
1: lady that uh, that grabbed your hand uh, when. Uh... She, with a with the pinky uh when she was calling a pinky uh was there like a language barrier there was did she not speak
2: english or something or like why did yeah, she
1: come she, over there and like grab your like put your
2: hand all the way around the bar that was was weird she german lady um i've heard that she's very strict from multiple people um but yeah she she spoke english it was just one of those things where she was very like hey this is how you do it you need to fix this to, I think to help me probably to make yeah. sure that like, Hey, I was going to be able to get the command in time because it was a very crunched time. Okay. And that's kind of why I cut the depth. It was kind of the rushing of that first rep or the first uh, attempt. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. Uh, Worlds, man, like overall was so, um, it was one of those things where I, like I talked about it, romanticizing the idea of what it was. And for me to get there after all these years was such a big deal that, uh, like I felt like I I didn't take all of it in, which I I mean, I tried, you know, I tried getting pictures with everybody. I tried, you know, going out and just hanging out with random different groups of people that I probably normally wouldn't have. Um, But I think one of the things was it was kind of shortened as well because it was only open, right. Versus junior and masters, like it usually was. Mm -hmm. Um, So that I think was one of the issues, but I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I'm really excited. Hopefully I can go to Malta. Um, and, you know, it's not easy to qualify for worlds every time. So, you know, it could be a situation where I win worlds and then, you know, somehow I, I don't win nationals or something and I don't go. Um, but you got to think like, if, you know, only three Americans qualify for Sheffield, you know, myself, Taylor, and uh, Delaney as of now, um, I'm sure like Jesus and everybody else will, will probably get in as an alternate. Um, there's got to be some priority there, right? Right. Because powerful American nationals is in february the end of february and sheffield is in march so we're not able to do both so i will not be doing how to think american ashman's i'll be doing sheffield and de- i guess depending on how i do it sheffield will you know constitute whether i go to worlds or not next year
0: oh that's, Inter- that's interesting It's interesting i have no idea then what even happens there so I talked to Mike Z about it,
2: and that was kind of what he was saying was similar to, like, hey, like, you're the world champ. Like, if you do what you need to do as of now, you know, hopefully that's how it's going to work. Because, yeah, man, like, it's, it's unfair to, to go to the higher level meet, perform well, really well, be the world champ, you know, number one, 93, and then not somehow get a spot, regardless of what happens domestically.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, or like, you know, a situation where let's say, you know, Keiko competes at Powerlifting America uncontested, can take whatever numbers he wants, and then you maybe are having a great day, you know, at Sheffield, but you load a deadlift that's just outside your comfort zone to try to win the overall, and then you miss, and it's like, oh, Keiko totaled more than you at Sheffield, so... Like who worlds, right? Or I
2: or I take less only to place above somebody at Sheffield based off the, the scoring. And I don't hit the number that Keiko did, right? I go nine for nine or whatever it is, but I don't quite hit that number. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. That would be that's very strange. I think the thing that maybe makes me hopeful, and I hope this is how it works, is that obviously with worlds every year, right? It's the winners of the class and then like a few alternates. I would imagine with so few Americans being given the spots for Sheffield that like in situations like that, they'll just like kind of by default be like, all right, we'll take both. Right. I think that's how it should be, but it's
2: weird how they do it. And maybe they change the base level qualifications where you need X total, right? Like a class five B or whatever it is. Um, And maybe that's enough to make it work out the way it needs to. But I have a hard time believing they wouldn't take, Delaney, myself, Atwood, as long as we do well. So I don't know. We'll
0: see. Yeah, no, that's super. I mean, Sheffield is obviously just this one big mysterious thing that's never happened yet. We don't know how it's going to run. And then obviously it's just being thrown like right in the middle of, you know, both your nationals as well as worlds. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see how it plays out. It'll also be interesting to see what happens with, you know, uh, USAPL lifters now, because obviously there's no direct overlap anymore between worlds and nationals because USAPL nationals is September. And then you have powerlifting America nationals in February. So I wonder how many USAPL guys are just going to try their hand. And it's like, if I win, I'll go to worlds. If I don't win, I can always go to USAPL, you know, nationals in September. So it'll be interesting to see who kind of makes a crossover despite, you know, having been USAPL this year or, or what have you. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that'll be interesting. The one thing that I wanted to mention, cause like it's, it's, it's funny seeing the, the, the rivalry or like the, the loyalists on one side versus the other, like something that, you know, all the IPF loyalists were like shitting on. They're like, Oh, the USAPL stream like sucked. It was like not <laughs> professional. It was garbage. And like, yes, hundred percent. The IPF stream was better. Like it was really, really frustrating you're trying to watch you know someone pull an American record and you have like a bowling alley level graphic playing through like half the lift, um, which sucks, of course. But for me, and again, i'm I think i'm I'm maybe somewhat biased here, like I've attended a lot of worlds, even in times where I haven't competed in them. But to me, just like, the atmosphere is just so much different. like it it almost feels like a different sport. In how differently the IPF and I guess in, in representation of the IOC wants to conduct the sport of powerlifting versus the direction that the USAPL wants to take with it. Like, a lot of the people like criticizing on the USAPL side, it's like, okay, but but were you there? Like, if you're watching the stream and all you have to talk about is a stream, it's like clearly you weren't present because the the energy in the USAPL you know, whatever convention center or or hotels that it gets hosted in. I feel like it it feels like a, a, a production, right? It feels like a show. Like, I'll never forget, you know, 2018 Nationals in Spokane, where you had that warm up room downstairs. And it's like, okay, prime time starting, like, we're going to walk through the crowd to the back room. And it just, to me, that's more exciting, right? Like, I, I think that and I'm sure you would agree with this. It's like, one part of, of worlds being, you know, the true test is the standards. Right. And the second thing is just like, like you said before, it's like, you have put so much time into getting to this point. And now you've traveled across the world and you have reached the pinnacle of, of, of powerlifting that you romanticize it. But I'm sure like the actual, like meat setting and timing and everything, if you take a step back and you evaluate, okay, how are the platforms? How was the the energy? How was the pacing? All that you'd be like, Eh, you know it was whatever mm-hmm. right which is like one of those reasons why i'm you know for me personally i'm just like i just i want to be where you know obviously where the competition is which in your case is is you know the ipf but like i want to be where the i feel like the the culture or the direction i want powerlifting to go in as a production is is represented
2: i i think the usapl side has you know exactly as you were saying it's, it's a production it feels like a whole different thing. I, as soon as you said that, it completely stood out in my mind that I, I agree. Uh, it is one of those things where like, I'll be honest, man, like I'm a, I'm an elitist, <laughs> like, like in the worst, like in the worst way, like unapologetically, like that's how I've always been about the IPF. Um, and and you, like, you know, that you guys both know that. Um, and that's always been for me. And it's not like I'm trying to say that in terms of like, everybody else should be doing IPF and if you don't, you're, you're not doing it right. Like, that's not how I view it at all. Um, But for me personally and everything about what I want to do is IPF all the whole time. Um, So it is one of those things. Like I do see how good USAPL, like I heard so many from my perspective, right. Being in worlds at worlds, and we're all like looking into the USAPL and everybody's like trashing the stream. Like all, everything is just trashing USAPL the whole time. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, I still care about, like, what was going on. Bro, I was in my bed at, like, 5 in the morning watching the squat. Um, like, that was that night after I was competing. Yeah. And just watching. And then I watched the squats, you know, watched part of the bench and fell asleep. Um, and just the I, – I know the feeling of what it's like. Because it, it reminded me a lot of, like, the Arnold-type setup. And it feels that way. All the top-level USA films feel that way feels like an Arnold. It feels like um, Daytona type of setup. Um, so I already could picture the vibe in my head anyways. And it's cool. yeah. like, it, it's just for me, it, it is one of those things where like, I don't know that I would ever go back to USAPL.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Also, I mean, you have a, a definitely a huge secondary, um, you know, variable there in that your weight class in particular had the biggest change. Right. So it kind of scattered all the people who are yeah. in your weight class where, you know, that's the thing. It's like with, when you change a weight class, like people don't consciously like manipulate their body weight set point unless they have a reason to. Right. Like everyone at the top level consciously makes a decision to sit at a specific body weight for a weight class. And most of the time it's above it. So when you have a seven pound drop off, it's like, well, fuck, I've spent the last five years of my life living in this body intentionally. And now you throw a change in there like that. It's like, this is going to, you know, it's, it's just such a huge difference.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, but the one thing, the one thing I wanted to say to shit on the IPF real quick is that mm-hmm. the platform was disgusting. That looked like dog shit. And I, I don't know how it's not the standard on both sides to replace the fucking wood like between days or between, you know between days I think is totally reasonable. It's like, it's not, you know, it doesn't take a lot of effort to, um, you know, staple down a carpet and pull off the little, you know, side fucking barriers or whatever, because, I mean, that was horrible, (laughs) especially because, you know, at least at at USAPL Nats, like, you're dispersed amongst five platforms. The prime time platform was only used for prime time. Like it distributes the load, but you guys are lifting on what, one platform, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That thing got abused by the time you guys got to it.
2: Aiden, I'm curious if you would ever go
0: because you're in a
2: position where, like, you're still young. You are very fucking strong, obviously. We could, you know, we could get you over the Pile of the America <laughs> side. Get, get you to worlds. You know, I've
1: considered it. Um, you know, I have a few goals. One goal is to be collegiate national champ, and then second is 90kg primetime. Those are two personal goals I have but bef- like but um and in uh, a reasonable amount of time. Um but uh yeah, I think by the time uh like maybe my last year of juniors, uh last year before I age out of junior, I'd uh maybe want to just do PLA nets real quick and try and try and become
2: uh, try and go to worlds nine the thing is, is like, it's still a commitment, right? Like if you decide to come over, you can't. So, I mean, there's some people that are trying to do it, but you can't really just come over and come back and do that type of thing. That's the, the shitty thing. Um, if, at least if you were wanting to be at the world level, right? So like yeah. for me, I don't know if you guys have heard about like the, the beef banter back and forth with USAPL Power of America and kind of the, the childish like post USAPL has been posting on like their, their blog stuff. You know what I mean? They, they put the, the thing of, oh, well, you know, we'll let you compete with USAPL. It's Powerlifting America and IPF that, want, that you know, won't we'll let you do it, right? Like, you, you need to get drug tested by us, you know, and this whole back and forth. Um, so there's a lot of conflict there right now. And us being, you know, ex-USAPL lifters, they still want to keep us in the registered testing pool. Um, but that kind of conflicts with WADA and what we want to do with IPF. So there's been this kind of struggle back and forth, at least, sub, you know, subtext has been there for it. So um, we'll see what they actually end up doing with suspensions. And if people that decide to come over, I mean, they lose their pro status, right? If, if you decide that, hey, you were pro now, you know, Aiden, after you know, qualifying yeah. with this, you're going to have to decline that. And that's how you get to Worlds, right? I don't keep up with the uh, the politics of powerlifting, a bit, I guess, uh, too much, sure.
1: but sure. Uh, I think if I did um, try to pursue a world spot, uh, it would just be like, it'd be, it'd be a kind of one and done deal with IPF. I'm not sure if
2: I'd go back. But I think that. that's, yeah, I think that's the problem, right? Like once you yeah. commit, like you're saying, like you're, that's it. Yeah. So like, for example, Russell went from USAPL to USBI. He went back from USBI to USAPL. If he, I don't even know if he can actually really go to Power Thing America now. Like, I, I, I don't really know. If the, I mean, they, people like at least the general population is like, yeah, Power Thing America would want, want him. But it's also too, is like, IPF has some weird shit where like, especially if you're a top level lifter going back and forth like that, they are probably going to have some problems with it.
0: I mean, I remember seeing something, I don't know if it applies because of all these new, like, you know, de facto federations but i remember because i had uh mason cabney
2: mm-hmm.
0: who ended up moving to canada and we wanted him to compete for cpu because he was mm-hmm. now you know living in canada and there was some ipf rule about how like if you compete for a nation's team you have to wait i think it's like two years or three years to compete for another nation's team so i don't know if that would still apply with something like usvi and powerlifting america but i would imagine that you know, if the IPF wants to keep rules consistent, that that would, that would apply in a situation like that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be difficult for people to, to, to jump back and forth like that, especially with something like you losing your pro status, for example. So, you know, it is something that I think we will see people dabble, but also it's like, you know, if, if you're someone who's at the top level, right, the pro series doesn't just come with the designation. It comes with the potential of lots of money. And if you forego that just to try your hand, I mean, I, I think that's something that a lot of people would be risk averse to on the mo- on the whole. So, but
2: we'll see,
1: we'll see. It, it would be two years before, you know, that would even happen. Um, and this shit is like changing constantly. So
2: Mm-hmm. but hey yeah. by the time you know if if you do that you know you'll be in 93 you know some someone has to hold you yeah. off It'll get I nice know. and fat yeah
0: <laughs> I mean as as your coach Aiden you know as seeing how you just and I was saying this before we started recording it's just like if Aiden were in Photoshop we just grab the corner of the picture and just like stretch it out like you've not gained <laughs> you've just become yeah. a larger more jacked person and I wouldn't be surprised to see like, cause this happened with you chance, right? Where like, you know, the first year or even two years of being a 93, like you got stronger, but like you didn't really get like stronger, stronger until your body settled at the weight. And some, and it, and it, it's an interesting topic because sometimes people gain weight and their strength blows up immediately. Like mm-hmm. you, you get into a surplus and it's just PR, 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 PR. And other people, it's like, you gain the weight and it's like, oh, my face is kind of more bloated, or I'm holding more water. And it's like, it takes a year for that surplus for your body to actually be like, okay, I should actually start like converting this to lean tissue, you know, these calories into lean tissue. And then you see the spurt. And I feel like that's what happened with you, where like you had some growing pains in your early years as a 93, and then eventually mm-hmm. things just took off. I was sloppy. I was super sloppy at first. I My fat face I looked like
2: I didn't lift even more than I did at 83 um, at least for a little bit. And so, yeah, it's been eight years almost. And you made a long some time.
0: Some death cuts too.
2: Yeah. I made some death cuts where I shouldn't have gone up that heavy. And it's weird because I've talked about this here, here lately with a lot of people is that as you, you know, get more, you know, lean body tissue, right? It makes it easier to make weight. And so as you get stronger and stronger and stronger, it's been easier for me to make weight. Whereas like the first, you know, a couple of years, it was kind of rough. Sometimes I had like some bigger cuts. That was probably just for me being like careless with diet. Um, but even now, like, even if I'm not as like strict on myself, like it's so easy to make weight.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've definitely found that to be the case in my career. Cause like, you know, unlike the two of you, I've been the same weight class my entire time in the sport and mm-hmm. I've been relatively, Either the same body weight or even gotten lighter since I've become like a, a competitive USAPL lifter. Where, you know, when I first started, you know, doing nationals and the Arnold and all that, you know, when I f- was first working with Joey, I was walking around like 190, 191, like not at all the same body comp I have now, you know, doing full water cuts, having a spit, whatever. And now it's gotten to the point where, like, I, you know, I was like 85 kilos for all of prep, sometimes dipping into the mid 84s and then you know it's the night before nationals and i'm you know 0.2 kilos away from weight despite trying to make it like a very last minute cut so that i didn't overshoot it And then the day of i'm just like like eating honey and like sipping salt water just to keep myself like at or or you know slightly below so it's it's frustrating when that happens um but in in a way it's a you know a positive thing but that's always the that's always the tough thing and obviously this if you're listening this applies to a very small percentage of you if any like it's kind of tough to time making weight for prime time because normally a chunk of your day is being taken up by sleep and you're used to like floating and the term float means like what you it's like a wrestling term or it's like oh i float a kilo overnight it's like what i lose mm-hmm. right it's like that portion of your day accounts for whatever percentage of of loss that you have right but you can't drink during that time. So, right. You're, you're losing weight during a time where you're inactive, you're not eating, you're not sleeping or sorry, you're not eating, you're not drinking. So it's like trying to time it where you're like, okay, I'm not going to be able to eat or drink during this time, but I obviously can't be drinking the day of because that weight needs to come off. So it's like, I think you're always better off for prime time to wake up like a a good amount over. Um, But it was just weird being in this position because this was the lightest I've ever been And then trying to time that with like a later way. And I definitely like could have been even more last minute with it. Like I did a, like a really like a three day water load. I didn't even cut water. I just loaded it up and then like the last day switched to low residue food. And like thinking of what I ended up doing the day of to keep weight on and what I weighed in at, I probably could have just done like one day of eating light and made weight. Like it was just very effortless.
2: do do you see how effortless it's gotten for you now and then when you have athletes that it's like their first time to do water cut they're like they're i'm a kilo over coach you know i don't know what i need to do and i'm like bro like you're fine like relax it's really gonna be good and it's like it's their first time to really get into that position so you need to like make sure that they're you know like set up well but it's like so eventually it gets very easy to make the little you know changes for two kilos one and a half kilos. effortless.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember doing my first few cuts. Like I've always had a a tendency being, you know, toward being a more neurotic lifter. So I remember doing my first few cuts, like texting Joey, you know, my body weight's this, is this good? Like, am I going to be okay? And it like, it wouldn't stress me out in the beginning of the cut, but then we'd get to like that two day out mark where like the weight hasn't done that like last minute drop off yet, but you're close enough to the meat where it feels like you shouldn't be this heavy. And that freaks you out a lot, but yeah, yeah it's for anybody listening who does water cuts or is new to water cuts, like obviously don't be stupid and cut you know a ridiculous amount of your body weight. I think like if you're sub three to three and a half percent for a cut, I, I think that you're in a safe spot, um like if you're just doing ridiculous cuts, then you know it's gonna be rough, no matter what, but as you accumulate lean body tissue and as you just like you get used to it more right like you you get more comfortable with pacing yourself. Like you've done it enough times so that the day, you know, the day that you're drinking, you know exactly like how quickly you should be drinking from that gallon and when you're on a good pace to replace it. Or like, you know, you know how much salt to add to your water if you're, if you're loading sodium as well. And you're used to, you know, for me, like I just track it where I have like my past, I don't know, eight cuts where I have my AM and PM weigh-ins written down and it's just like, I check my AM weight, I check my PM weight on a day, and it's like, okay, I'm on pace, or I'm ahead of pace, or I'm behind pace. And it's just like, it just becomes such an autopilot thing. You know, it's not mm-hmm. even a a stress factor at that point. Yeah. Part of the reason I went up, I hate cutting. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I do too. Like, I I my body's kind of done its own thing lately, where like, I've just sat a bit leaner, but I also don't really want to make like water cuts anymore. Like I just don't, you know, it, 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 part of it made it feel like you're competing, you know, like going into a meet, not cutting would certainly feel weird since I've done it for every meet that I've competed in. But at this point, I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, scrapping for kilos on each lift. Like at this point, it's not even a matter of like, can I get significantly stronger for me at this point? It's just like, okay, can I actually put it together on meat day? So I'm just like, can I just minimize any sort of variable that can play any sort of role, you know, on the day of it's just, if I can sit in the 84s, especially with this, you know, new half kilo reduction that it's 82, five, I don't, I agree with you. I don't want to cut anymore. So I definitely resonate with that. I'm pretty so astonished. Good. Going up to 90, Sean? Going up to 90. So <laughs> when so, when? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely so there's a couple things here. Like I put it, you know, I want to beat Russ, right? Like mm-hmm. I've I've literally gone head to head every year since 2016. I want to win. And obviously we can talk about in a little bit like the the actual you know matchup and the outcome and all that, but that's something that I've, I've dedicated myself to, right? Like I want to win and I, and I want to beat him because he has been consistent. He has been the reigning champ, right? Like if I just wanted to win uh, like a world title, for example, like I would have gone Powerlifting America, right? So I want to win that head to head because that's just been a big part of like my training arc, number one. And number two, I, I just don't know if I could move up even if, you know, let's say he goes the bodybuilding route or, you know, decides to go up to 90, let's say, you know, I think that, and I talked about this with Steve, like, I kind of owe it to myself to, to get that championship at 82, you know, regardless, right? It's like, I've, I've worked at this for eight years now and it would kind of suck, you know, let's say I did move up and then I never win a championship at 90. It's like, well, you know, you, you, do you want to finish your powerlifting career? Not having one that class. And, you know, as much as I do think I would be equally competitive as a 90 it, that when Steve said that it, it just didn't sit right with me. I was like, yeah, you're right. Like it would, it would feel kind of like I, I regret or, or missed an opportunity by just leaving the class before having that closure. Um, so I definitely want to make the move at some point, like no question. Um, and I definitely think I'd fall into that pool of people who just like blow up when they move up a weight class, like I, I really, I really do believe, and you know, maybe you can tell me I'm, you know, chance, since you're very brutally honest, maybe you can be like, now you're full of shit. But I, I do genuinely believe that I could total like 2k as a 90. I do really believe that maybe not in the first year. Right. But like, I definitely could see myself going, you know, near 700, over 500 on bench and then, you know, near eight on deadlift. Um, so, I definitely think from a relative competitiveness standpoint, it would be a good move. Um, but it's. Surprised I, you,
2: I'm surprised you don't get your deadlift more than that.
0: I mean, I'm. I'm that's fair. <laughs> but. How do you, how do you know think, you're going to
2: go up if yes. you've never gone up a weight class?
0: Well, I think the reason is that <laughs> I've. So, for people listening who might not know, like, I have been in this body weight range since I was like 14 or 15 years old. <laughs> like, I think that this is yeah. just, th- it would be a, it would be a move that is so like shockingly anabolic to my body where it would be like, like you've opened the door to actually grow. Like I've recomped at this body weight plus or minus five pounds since I was like mid puberty. You know, I just, no, I, just, I, just, no, yeah, I just, yeah, I was I just messing, was messing with me, that.
2: I, I, I wanted I to agree. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say this about the weight gain and I've tried to explain this and you know, the way you phrased it, Sean, of like shockingly anabolic, I think that is a big, important thing that I think people need to worry about because when you go up, it is a shock. It is a, everything is easier. Everything's getting stronger. Your capacity for recovery is better. Everything obviously, but you know, people know about it. Um, And I've seen a lot of people that are top level in X weight class. They decide to go up and, you know, they start blowing up and they get hurt and they keep spinning their wheels because they're hurt. They're a little fat and then they're not as strong as where they were and they're in this vicious cycle and they're like only like, you know, say for example, 181s to 198, you know, you're only 193 now, 194 and you're not quite where you were before, and you're in this weird state. And I hate seeing that when people are like number one, two, three in their current weight class. And even though for you, you've been there for so long that it makes sense. And everything you're saying, I agree with hundred percent. It is one of those things you are making a risk that you need to assess the yep. risk reward here.
0: Yep. And that's something I've, I've definitely thought about, not you know, I have thought about it for me, but I've thought about it in just a more general sense, because, you know, your connective tissue is not going to, you know, develop as quickly as well, not to say that your muscle gain is going to be super fast, right? Because it does take time to put on muscle, even in a surplus, but your connective tissue just might not be equipped to handle the the rate of strength gain that you see. Um, yeah. And, you know, part of it is is the rate of gain, right? So like, a lot of people move up. And, and and I've had talks with friends about this who were kind of in between weight classes and maybe one meat they decided not to cut for. And I'm like, you made a mistake because you decided not to cut for this meat, And now that's going to open the door for you to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and say, oh, I'm in between weight classes, or, you know, just start eating more at night. I'm in between weight classes. And before you know it, you sloppily get yourself up to the next weight class for now, you don't have the option to cut down, but because of the way that you did it, you didn't really get much stronger. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, I, I definitely feel like I'm someone who, you know, like food quality wise, I don't know too many people who would be, you know, eating better <laughs> than me on the way up. So, True. um, I think that that would definitely aid me, you know, like as an aside, I have had since like changing my diet several months back, like my joints feel unbelievable. Like, I don't have like aches anymore. It's just, and like, obviously training was at its peak for nationals. So it's not like an issue of just being subjected to lower stress. Like just physically I felt great, but I mean, you're absolutely right. Like I've, I've definitely seen it as well where, you know, you just get, cause at first you're just going to, you are going to put on fat, right? Yeah. So it's like, if you put on a little bit of fat, your connective, connective tissue didn't quite keep up, but you are, you know, 20 pounds stronger on squat and can recover to hit you know, maybe 30% more squat volume, it's like you are playing with fire there because you can do these things until you can't, and then you get hurt. Right.
2: I just, I just wanna sometimes. make a point to you because of the, the commitment thing that I see. I see a lot of people like half commit to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of the problem. And I can think of like 10 lifters in my head, I won't say any names, that I feel like, they sh- I think that they should have gone a little bit more chill you know, slower and not have gained all that fat and not have been as aggressive. Um, but it's like, they didn't commit fully to it. Like you need to fully commit to it. And, and if it is like, kind of like how you said for me, right. Like when I first went up, I was a little chubby, you know, 93 and I was a full 93 within a year. Yeah. And I just like committed to being a you know sloppy piece of shit for a while. And you know, eight years later, here we are. Right?
0: Yeah. And for me, a big a big part of it is definitely gonna be mental too, whenever I do make the decision to move up, because one part of it is I have an appetite and I know I could fill out the class like that, right? Like so part of it is I know I could very easily do it. But then the second part of it is like I definitely have some body dysmorphia where like even sitting, like cause there are times in my training where I sit, you know, 84-5. There are times in my training where I've gotten up to like 87 in the past couple years and like even that little difference like i'll look at my face in the mirror and i'll be like i'm like a fat fuck so it's like i know i'm gonna have this like back and forth battle between myself where it's like i could be 200 pounds in two weeks if i wanted to be and then oh my god i put on two pounds and i look like a fucking slob right like that's a very real thing that i've that i that i deal with because You know, I've been the same weight for so long, and I also was fat as not fat as shit, but I was pretty fat when I was a kid. So it's like the 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 desire to never be fat again. Like I know I know both of you, you know, weren't like chubby kids. So no, it's something you did. Yeah, exactly. So it's like when you when you've been fat and you're like, I never want to be fat again it's, it's difficult to make that decision. So we'll see, we'll see. But I I definitely from a strength perspective, I could see it being a good move. I think I'm well equipped with the tools to make it a good body comp move. And then at some point, like at some point, I know I want to do a bodybuilding show. So whenever that time comes, yeah, I mean, this has been something Chance is like widening his eyes. I've known forever that this is something I want to do at some point. Um, But whenever that time comes, I'd have to go through a a very dedicated like mass building phase because it's like, you know, I have a big back and big legs, but like I need to do arms like 12 days a week to be anything on a stage. So
1: I have a few thoughts on this. Uh, Going back to the comment you just made about uh, me expanding as if someone photoshopped me and just pulled at the edges Uh, Yeah. and like not putting on any fat, you're acting as if like I don't eat two full-size Domino's pizzas a week while, uh, while doing that. So I don't think you'd put on that much fat. Um, and then, um, going to the, to the addressing your concerns about potential injury. Um, as someone who is actually like going up weight class, right. I think I've gained a ton of benefit from all the, the bodybuilding work I'm doing to put on muscle while I'm, you know, in the surplus, um, as it's building my tissue resiliency you know going through uh movements different movements of an spd um like doing like incline dumbbell press for example and i mean sean's seen it like i've been going like like rp10 every week on weight weighted dip uh which i'm no longer doing to let my bench recover but um no because i have dealt with like pec injuries in the past and and so it, it's good to build a tissue resiliency through through different uh movements And then also, if you're, if someone's really concerned about going up a weight class, uh, you could almost like treat your training for a little, if you, if you foresee yourself making so much progress to the point where, you know, such significant, you know, strength gains to the point where it's, it's beyond what you may think is your, your connective tissue can handle that you can kind of just program yourself. Like, you know, maybe a, a kid who, you know, is, is progressing really well and you kind of have to force, forcefully slow them down um
2: and control progression
1: or use us
2: so i I wanted to make a point like crystal clear for the audience listening you know i'm I'm specifically talking about the top one to, to five lifters like sean right um who are like the tip of the iceberg for that weight class when they go up it is way more of a gamble is what i'm saying where for a lifter that's like even you you're you're like very much up there in a top level lifter i'm talking about like now i'm talking about like the middle of the pack qualifying maybe for nationals yeah of course you you go up of course it's not a not a discussion but i'm saying for sean it is a big gamble in terms of you know health and in, injury risk all these other things to go up and say okay i was number two at 83 or or hopefully one soon if i'm at that point and i have to go up what is the risk that I'm going to go to number one or two at 93, right? Or, or 90, you know, like for him to go up, he's saying, okay, I'm committing to beating Petrie, right? I'm committing yeah. to like, that legitimately is the, the next step up for him. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I wanted to make clear.
1: So what approach would you take then as like being someone who is the one, the 1% of the
0: 1%? Well, I wanted I mean, to actually, yeah, I wanted yeah. to chime in on this because I yeah. think that this is just a good general because like what you were saying, Aiden, prompted me to think of this. And and I think this is a good general rule for people who are going up regardless, but especially for people who maybe are in this like elite situation, which, as we said, is probably not many. But like, I think it's very easy to get caught in the trap when you move up of like, because of how easy it is to see progress, right? You're gonna like the worst thing I think you could do if you decided to go up a weight class in this scenario is to like, do squat bench and deadlift and like nothing else and like not go on walks because you're not trying to burn more calories. Right. Mm -hmm. And like reducing all activity outside of like SPD. Cause now you're like, Oh, I don't even need to do my belt squats or hyper extensions anymore to help my squat and deadlift. Like it's just going up for whatever reason. But I think the point that you made about the bodybuilding stuff, even just like going for walks, like making sure that like moving in all planes still feels good and like moving through ranges of motion to build like muscles and, and build tissue tolerance to both eccentric and concentric stress outside of just squat bench and deadlift, like making sure all those points are taken care of is so important. And that's like the specific advice I would give to further, you know, like advance this topic past what we were just saying before, because like, if you are getting so much stronger, you're getting so much stronger, practicing the same three movements through those ranges of motion but you have an entire body of muscles that are either you know equipped to handle a certain amount of stress or not equipped to handle a certain amount of stress and while you can't prevent injury like your best bet is exposing them to every range of motion that you possibly can being able to load it in like a, a logical like incremental fashion so like if you are moving up a weight class whether you're elite whether you're not it's like you know Make sure your step count's still high. Like, do your bodybuilding stuff. It's like, it's probably a good time to do it anyway because now you actually are in a surplus where you can build muscle. So that's my advice also, for that piece. Also
2: too, is is like your health-wise probably a good idea anyway. <laughs> I think as, as you get leaner um, and being able to do those things, you have the energy now. You have probably a little bit more testosterone and um, just feeling better in general, I think it's worth it.
0: Yeah, and I mean... You know, if you are getting fatter, because there's definitely some people who move up and, you know, they do put themselves in a position where it's like, okay, maybe you're not, you're not obese, right? But like you have more adipose tissue and you're 250 pounds, like it is strenuous for a human body to carry 250 pounds, even if you're not 30% body fat, like you can be 22% body fat and be a very muscular person. But like that is still stressful on the heart that is stressful on the joints. Like (laughs) if you're moving up, you have to acknowledge like in a, in a kind of more like normy general sense, like, okay, I'm a bigger human and this is just more taxing on my body in general. Yeah. So
2: can we get into uh, like your actual meat recaps or reviews for uh, Uh, that?
0: Let's get it over with. Why not? All right. I want to hear from
2: you, bro, because I was, I mean, I was watching it, you know, I I saw a lot of it. I just want to know what, what you felt like on the day.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, man. I mean, this was, you know, I've, and the thing is, like, I've dealt with this before and I, and I, and I attribute this to my, my college experience because, you know, you're told a lot in, in life and growing up, it's like, if you work as hard as you can for something and you really, really want it, like, you'll get it. Right. Or like you put in all the effort and like the outcome will be what you want. Right. And like, while I still believe in, you know, being relentless, right. Like this doesn't perturb me. I still want to win nationals. Like this is still my goal. This is still what I'm training for. At any singular event. Right. Like in this case, nationals, it's like you can do everything right. And like it could not pan out for you. Right. And in college. Right. That experience was very similar where you can study your fucking ass off you feel like you understand everything, but all the preparation ultimately culminates in this three question exam. And if you don't know two of the concepts of those three questions, like you fucking fail, that's it. It's over. It's like you, you retained and built this massive memory bank, but because the, 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 the 1% that you missed comprised two whole questions, it's like, you're fucked. Right? So like this prep or the outcome was that, where like the prep was unbelievable i felt stronger than i've ever been my weight was great the first nationals i've been healthy for which is like holy shit, that's never happened right the day of making weight was super easy um i felt more like zoned in in a meat setting than i think i ever have like i felt like it sounds kind of corny to say but you hear people talk about like flow state Right, like I literally felt like everything was like in slow motion, like walking to the warm up room, warming up. Like everything just felt automatic, and my warm ups felt great. You know, my last squat warm up, I think I posted on my you know Instagram story at one point. And it was like two fifty or something. Felt super smooth. Plan was to open two seventy, and my opener even like felt pretty good. You know, it wasn't like blazing fast, but I would say it was fast enough to you know, predict maybe a 292, 295 finish, let's say. And like the bar felt really light on my back too, which is always a good sign. Like there are times where you unrack a squat and meet and it feels heavy and you're like, oh, well, fuck. Like this is not going to be the day. Um, But after my opening squat, I was super hopeful, especially because of how it felt on my back. And then, you know, I come out for my second squat. I told Steve before the meet, I was like, I don't want any say in attempts. I just want to lift I want you to call the weight, And after my opener, I walk out, I obviously see five reds and a white. I'm like, okay, we went with plan A, like, fuck yeah, let's get it. And I just lost the squat on the way down. Like I, I, I remember being shocked, you know, you, you could load a, a, a max attempt and you know that it's like, okay, like this is going to be a fight. It's going to be a gamble right? I unracked my second squat. I'm like, okay, this feels how 628 normally feels on my back. Like, let's take it for a ride. And, you know, I, I, you know, I said this on, on social media and I think it was pretty obvious from the videos, but like, I didn't notice it in the moment. Cause in the moment you're just trying to be very like unconscious with your movement. But like, I walked that squat out super fucking wide, like significantly wider than how I did in training. And on the way down, like. I just completely lost the squat. And on the way up, I'm trying to fight it as I, you know, fell forward and, and, you know, ultimately was trying to grind through this. And like midway through the squat, as I'm fighting, I'm like, did this really fucking happen? Like, I was just so taken aback that I, you know, could even be put in this position, especially because like of how well controlled I had my squat all prep. Like, I think that's the one thing that I was really confident in was that I figured out how to really manage my center of mass and like command the descent of my squat throughout the entire prep and with squats that were in the 290, 295, you know, even up to 300 range. So by that point, it's like, you know, you try to fight through a squat like that, even taking the same weight again, you're going to be gassed. Like that's just, that's just how it was. Right. So like, I, I think I definitely felt better and obviously made the correction for my, my third squat, but. You know, by that point it might as well have been two ninety-five, right? It was just heavy enough after failing a squat, um, that it went that way. Uh mentally I was still like I was pissed, but it's just like, okay, I am still in a position to win. Like even with a a horrible squat performance, I'm still in a position to win because assuming bench goes as bench is supposed to go, right? I can still finish the meet in the eight forty to eight forty five range, which is, you know. Keeps me mentally in the meat. Warming up for bench feels super fast. Last warm up was 190. Opener unracked feels great in my hands. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, why am I not getting a start command? So I start like fiddling with my fingers. I'm like, looking, I'm like, the rings are covered. Is it the rings? Let me try to like turn my hand in more. And then, no, I didn't get a start command. And then I finally get the start command. By that point, I'm just holding the bar forever. I descend, I touch it feels pretty clean, right? Like I don't feel like I'm bobbling or sinking or anything, but I'm just held for a bit. Um, so the opener just moved slow, right? Like it didn't, you know, strength wise, I felt good. It's just bench is the one lift that really is sub- subject to the elements like that, where if you have a long start and a long press, it's, you know, that's going to, that's going to take something out of you. Um,
2: it was very long. I remember watching that and I was like, dude, what, what was the deal? And so I asked you afterwards what, what it was.
0: Yeah. So so you know the same thing happened on my on my second and third so we ended up loading 211 which you know I, I think and I and I've said this already it's like bench is where I where I really lost the meat like squat was whatever but y- you know on any day of the week I should be able to press 211 like there's there's no question there even the week of the meat like I pressed 220 right so just got held really long wasn't really sure why Um, you know, on my second attempt, the same thing, like I'm sitting there, I'm like, fuck, like, are the rings not covered? Like, let me, let me try turning my hands in again. Like, let me see if this is going to be the thing that gives me the command. Sure enough, it wasn't, um, you know, and then just holding the bar above my chest, holding it at the chest just was a lot. So what actually happened because plenty of people were complaining on my behalf. And I think that's why, like a lot of the trolls think I make excuses, even though I always like I always blame myself in these scenarios. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the situation was this. So for whatever reason, my left butt cheek was not down. Like as I set my hips down, like the right was in contact, the left was not. So Pauly, the head ref looks to the right judge. He has his hand down, looks to the left. The left still has their hand up. I think in the USAPL, I think the rule is that you only need one side judge's approval, but If you're a judge who's used to seeing both refs throw their hand down and they're not, you're going to wait for them to give their hand. That's going to take however many seconds it does. And then when you realize, oh, they're not going to, now I'll give the start command. So it's just like seconds add up there. Right. And then what happened on the press is that I just touched and on the day touched really fucking crooked. So for people listening who don't know, like when you arch that much, right. And you touch that softly, any sort of like crookedness that you have is going to get amplified. And the center of the bar touches one side of my ribs. So if you're a head judge who's seen a hundred fucking benches that day and everyone touches in the middle, like a normal human, and then you see me touch on one side, you're going to be like, okay, the bar hasn't finished going down. And then when you realize that I'm stopped on a dime, you're like, Oh, that actually is the end of it. And then you give the press command. Right? So it's like, in in some people's eyes they're like oh like he held you forever like that was nonsense and it's like you know maybe from the outside observer sure but those are two things that are absolutely within my control you know first of all the the butt thing is is very cut and dry right like if if my butt is up my butt is up and then the chest being you know the touch being crooked is just something that i can i can deal with right i can i can make that change and then i don't have to deal with that anymore um So by that point, you know, the meet was not over, but I was out of contention to win. I think I would have had to pull like 350 or something in order to win, which just was not there, obviously. Um, So going into pulls, like warmups felt awesome. Like deadlifts always show up for me on meet day, which is just a great thing. Uh, But mentally, you know, at that point, I'm like, I don't care if I take second, third or fourth, like that does not matter to me at all. Right. Like wherever I place is where I place at this point, I I came in to win. And, you know, at like, you know, for some people, you know, they want to maximize their placing and and I totally respect that. Right. The, The position that I'm in, or at least the way that I regard myself, like I was there to win. I was capable of winning and anything other than that just didn't really matter. So I told Steve like, Hey man, whatever you want me to do, you can load it on the bar. And he's like, I just want you to finish the meet three for three. I'm like, Okay. Fine by me. So, you know, to, to wrap this up, Gruden's deadlift got overturned. So we only needed to load three thirty to pass him and then force Angelo's hand. And obviously Angelo, you know, pulled a Hail Mary deadlift, got it, took second place by half a kilo, but yeah, man, it, it definitely, uh, it stung for the the week afterward, I would say at this point, now that training momentum has picked up again, I just have short-term memory about it. Um, but it just, it, it's the thing that, that pisses me off is just like, well, I mean, there's a lot of things about it, but it's like, you know, all, all respect to Russ as a competitor. Like, Russ is a phenomenal, phenomenal competitor. You know, the best 83 who has ever competed, you know, consistently goes nine for nine, consistently shows up exactly as you expect, right? But I think that that day, based on his training, was exactly representative of his top end, right? I think based on his prep, that was exactly what you would expect him to be able to hit on a good day. And his total was exactly what Steve and I predicted he would hit. Like we picked all those numbers before the meet to a T. That was exactly what we had there. So to know that had I had even an average performance of what we predicted to have that I could have won, that like makes me feel like, like I really, really fucked up. Right. So that makes me very upset with myself. Um, but like I said, you know, it, I'm, I'm definitely accustomed to like rolling with the punches like this. Like I said, like there've been exams that I've studied for a million years for, and then I'm like, Oh, I'm going to crush it. And then you get like a 65 and you're like, Oh fuck my life. Like, what do I know? So yeah, man.
2: One one thing I to I wanted, I want to say is that, um, to me, his squats looked high. They, they, I think both second and third looked high, um, and I think maybe it was part of the angle with the, the angle that USAPL had. Uh, but comparing like some of the squats there at, at nationals to worlds, I was like, what the hell is this? And so, like, I, again, it is one of those things comparing across federations is whatever. But I remember talking with a bunch of people from worlds and bro there's no way he's getting any of those at that world
1: <laughs> I uh I think the judging was a little bit all over the place I will say personally like mm-hmm. see the Cole Wagner incident um <laughs> <laughs> where he got a, a six second pause and then just didn't like no press command at all but um I've already given you my little prep talk that one night <laughs> um but uh Going back to your performance on squat, do you, do you write down cues at all, like on a, on a notes app or anything, just to look at?
0: No, no. You know, one of the things that, and this is kind of a, a, a weird thing with me, is like I'll go through phases of like being autopilot and then I'll completely forget like how to lift. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, that's why. So I write down cues and I only have like a few, but I forget how to do shit this is my body likes to forget how to lift. So I find them helpful. You need it. You need to write down. Don't fucking dive bomb.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that that's something that, and I, and I talked about this as well. Like even if consciously you don't perceive nerves, like clearly there's something that just, you know, makes me fuck up on meat day. Right. So like one of the things that I've noticed is like, you know i haven't gotten like a depth call on a meaningful squat in in years right yeah. but i think the the subconscious thing is like okay i don't want to get a depth call so let me like get down there like make sure i'm really getting down there whereas if you watch any of my like training squats above you know 280 285 like i slow down and i intentionally try to control it but for whatever reason on meet day like you know you walk out the squat, you get the start command, and you're like, okay, I need to get in there. And I think that that is just, you know, a recipe for disaster. So Yeah, and I mean, you were
1: well below depth on every attempt, um, except didn't you get a red on your first?
0: Uh, you? Yeah, I don't remember if it was a red or a blue or what, but I did get one red on the first yeah.
1: attempt. Yeah, it's just not like, you know, just, just need to remind yourself of of how you should squat prior to a meet. Yeah. That's a
0: good idea. Yeah, no, for sure. There was one thing that I, that I saw that I wish I fucking did. And I remember, I can't remember chance. You might've posted it. It was Matt Gary posted about how before every meet he takes his lifters out onto the platform to like actually visualize it and see. I like that. So that the first time that you touch the platform is not when you go out for your first squat and i remember seeing that it was like one or two days before i competed and i was like i like this i'm going to do that and then for whatever reason just like timing wise or you know maybe i was just like ah eh, like it's it would be inconvenient to do this i decided not to do it and i just wish that i did right cuz i feel like that's one of those things where you you put yourself on that that primetime platform you look at where the the, the front ref chair is going to be. You look at where the crowd is going to be, and maybe that just like cements a couple things in your mind. Yeah. So, going forward, I'll definitely make a point to do that.
2: Especially for like a huge being like that, the lights, the you know, the feeling of doing this already. So that's not a yeah. foreign feeling. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm definitely gonna do that. I saw that uh, from now on. It's just like the, the feeling of familiarity familiarity, like you've you know, you've already been there and you've already approached you know the platform that you're gonna yep. be on.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. It's mm-hmm. a good idea.
2: Aiden, you wanna cover a little bit of how your meet went? Oh, I didn't, I didn't. He uh, didn't do that. Did I not did I not see that? He, the I last thought... thing I did was collegiates. Oh. Which
1: I guess but you were there,
2: you were there though, right? Yeah, I was there. I, I okay. was there because I did see you there. I was
1: like, okay, I uh, I handled uh, gajaja. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: there you go. Yeah,
1: um, he's so quick, meet recap for him. Um, uh, so almost bombed out squat. Um, so I will say, I mean, I was standing behind him and i will say like he was just clearing depth from my angle uh but right that can't argue with the judges uh so that's just something we're gonna be working we're nailing uh going forward um bench pretty much everyone in that session was getting like three to four counts i mean you know trevor Ballas, He was unbelievable yeah
0: like he, it was it, a, watching, it was the same
1: guy so
0: yeah for people who are watching like i don't i don't think i can can say this enough like You know, for example, I'm talking about my bench press, right? And I'm I'm assigning blame to myself, right? There are things that I can do to avoid this. This is one of the few times where I can say that that was some of the worst judging I've ever seen in my life. And that should not happen on a national level. Um, Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable where you have a lifter. So Cole Wagner, one of my lifters, Trevor Bolas, another one of my lifters are holding the bar at their chest for, Four five seconds, legitimately, like on a clock, four or five seconds, and the head ref cannot even see whether or not they are touching their chest. And they dude, go,
1: I, him no. and uh him and that front us uh, Rob and the front judge got like into it. Like the the front judge got like in Rob's face, <laughs> um, because Rob was like throwing up his hands when Trevor bombed out. Because I mean, like he was just sitting there for like four seconds and not getting a press command, and um strength uh strength rob rob was like uh the 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 head judge said like oh he's not touching his chest because he was like kind of you know he just it was a soft touch right and the judge was just like oh he's not touching his chest and then rob is like oh then what's this on his singlet it's like a chalk mark you know where he (laughs) rested the bar yeah exactly yeah so it's just it's ridiculous um so go back to gauge um we ended up with a seven and a half bench PR actually despite like the, the, the super long pauses. So that was, that was pretty good. Uh, below what we wanted in training because we trained with like, you know, one to two count pauses, not like three, four. Um, and then on deadlift, he tore both his hands. So like very big rips. So just couldn't really hold on to a third.
0: Dude, Gage, if, if there's a, the 1% chance that you're listening to this, you need to get off the hub or whatever you're doing <laughs> because I have never in my life seen someone tear their hand.
1: <laughs> he does tear his every week. Well, he, he can't, I mean, that's his problem. Like, it's actually a personal issue, too, because he, he can't do that anymore because it's really so painful. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was like there's two massive craters that were, like, bright red, like about this bit. I mean, it, people can't see, but, you know, pretty big tears um he's i know you've done this before but he's gonna do a redemption meet uh in like, like three weeks
0: i love redemption meets yeah so redemption meets
1: we're uh, we're 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 sinking the squats we're pausing the bench press and he, i mean he's still tearing the hands I've...
0: <laughs> but <laughs> you're like you're still fucked gage
1: <laughs> yeah so i i don't know you know i'm telling i mean I, I told him you know moisturize your hands helps but he already (laughs) does that so (laughs) he already has that taken care of uh i don't know just using straps on secondaries and stuff so
0: yeah i will say that the tough thing with gage is he really does give like on squats he really does give the refs all the time in the world to be able to tell if he hits depth or not
1: yeah it's just his squatting style he's just very controlled and it's just uh it's just, it's just how he lifts, really.
0: I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying because he's not just, like, controlled, but he slows down every – like, every millimeter he gets closer to the yep. hole, he slows it down even more.
1: <sighs> yeah. Um, but, no, he to me, you know, sitting – because I was watching behind him. Yep. It, yep. He just – I mean, he was sinking it. Like, his, his hips were clearly below his knees to me. But, yep. uh, you know, it's whatever. I'm not – I can't. Um, say anything, because I'm not the judge, but um, uh, he was strong in the day, too. Uh, He moved five, like, his, uh, are we open at 590? His best in training was 650. Um, 590 moved, like, okay, but okay to him is, like, insanely fast because his, in training, his last warm-up was 600. Like, literally, it was the exact same speed as his 650. It's so weird, but um, so, yeah. Uh, That's pretty much his
2: recap did you guys enjoy Vegas no outside okay (laughs) I mean I I mean some people did I mean I I don't know if I'm that type of
1: person but like
2: I specifically YouTube because I know you guys that's not really your thing yeah
0: when I say uh, I'll give I'll give two answers here so did I have a good time yes Did I enjoy in the sense like, did I go and enjoy the things that are there in Vegas? No. Um, Mm -hmm. I just didn't really have time to. So like just thinking of the days that I was there, like I personally coached on one of the days. Then I attended on another day when Caitlin Berry competed in prime time. The day that I competed, I couldn't do anything obviously. And then the next day I handled Daniela. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to like even go explore or whatever. Um, I will say the last, the, na- the last night I went out to a nice dinner with some friends and that was a great time, but like, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not a gambler. Um, I'm not in hookers. So <laughs> there's uh, I feel like there's not very much for me. Oh, and I did go to the taco place that everybody went to after the meet and I got food poisoning or something <laughs> because, my stomach could not handle the, uh, the, the pivot from my very limited food supply in my house to uh, authentic Mexican food. So. See, that's the struggle
2: with your, with your dieting thing going on, man. You can't have the, like if you have the
0: fun stuff. Sorry about that, guys. We got cut off, ran out of storage on the computer, but cleared some stuff out and we're ready to go again. So Chance, you were just commenting on my horrible, or I guess not horrible, but very, very sensitive gut issue. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So your gut probably is not used to it. So the taco stuff where it's great, that's your little crutch now.
0: So yeah, it's for, for the people here who have maybe followed my, my nori.plate Instagram, or you've just seen the dietary changes I've made, like it's been fantastic for my health right but one of the things that that really changes when you um you know eat fermented foods for example or eliminate certain other foods and and just have a very very strict diet is that you get like this complete overhaul or change of your gut microbiome and if you introduce foreign foods to the system like for me for example uh xanthan gum so like the stuff that you would put in like frozen yogurt to make it like thicker, which I actually had to deal with the consequences of that today. Cause I did have Froyo and forgot about that. Um, or like, uh, raffinose, which is like a, a polysaccharide or, or, you know, chain of sugars that's in like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and like a lot of these green vegetables, they destroy me, like crush my stomach. And if you are like just super averse and like eat this very restrictive diet, you just get a heightened response every time you reintroduce this. Whereas like, you know, your average like football fan who just eats like a dumpster, like they can, they can stomach anything and they're fine. Right. But (laughs) I've been dealing with every time that I just deviate slightly, like I just, I'm suffering. So that night was, was horrific. I was actually supposed to, I was supposed to coach Brandon Rojo, who's one of my, my bench only guys. Uh, He was competing the morning. It was Saturday morning and I had to text him at like, 6am i hadn't yet gone to sleep i was like dude like i've been in the bathroom i fucking threw up like i'm in agony right now you know can you can you have uh vince or you know rob or jj in the warm-up room like help you out with loading plates like there's no chance i'm going to be able to make it there yeah i mean vegas i've been to vegas a few times that i haven't gone
2: to do anything really really fun or anything like that uh, it was, like, when I was younger. Golden nugget, so, bro. Nationals. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> US, USPA nationals or worlds, right? Um, but it would, it would be fun. I, I wanted to go see Elenium because I think a lot of the guys, some of the guys you coach and some other people, went to go see Illenium that like, next day after they competed. So yeah. that would have been cool. Um, I like stuff like that. But for me, like, South Africa, it was nothing there. It, we We went out to, like, this, like, bar – you know, late night, this like nightclub. And that was fun. I never usually drink and stuff like that. But we all got pretty drunk and had a, had a fun time after winning. Worlds. I was
0: I was gonna say chance, you know, I, <laughs> I was gonna say this at the beginning of the call, when you were talking about that, like, I saw you out and doing things and being in settings that I would never would have thought to have seen you. And so it, when you were saying you tried to take it all in, I was I was actually like, impressed or I agreed with you that like you actually did do a good job of taking it all in. Cause I would have imagined if you told me you were going to get to worlds like four days before or whatever you did that you were going to make sure that you were there early so that you could, you know, dial in with food and sleep and just make sure that you're not expending any sort of unnecessary energy. But like it seemed like you were out in multiple different friend groups and just like taking advantage of whatever experiences were, were at your disposal. Yeah, I hung out with the
2: the British team for a majority of the the time. Um, so almost all of like Owen Hubbard, um, uh, Owen, athlete that I coach. He coaches a lot of uh, UK lifters. Yep. Ben Pape, uh, Abdul Majid Slaman, all of them, all of the UK guys, and obviously they're heavy drinkers. Um, so they were all all doing that, you know. I and they definitely got me to do a lot of shots and stuff like that. So. Yeah, after, after winning, it was pretty fun. I don't know if you saw some of my stories or saw that Yuki was the MVP of, of Worlds because that dude was somehow surviving all these drinks that they were feeding him. That, he that dude, dude, he's small, but he fucking survived. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> For anybody listening, Yuki is a 66-kilo lifter uh, from Australia. He's not a uh, – if you thought of someone who could just, like, slug back 20 shots – your first person that came to mind would not be Yuki.
2: Yeah. And, and Yuki's a, you know, he's from Japan, like yep. lives in Australia now. Um, but his like demeanor and like him as a, as a person, he's the most fun person I've, I think I've been in, around in a long time. Like he's so much not what Japan is, but he's like very Australianized now. And so he has that type of mentality and just like loves to have fun doing whatever and being crazy oh and, yeah uh, dude, yeah high and energy he, he was he was like blackout at the end of the <laughs> night
0: <laughs> what did you think of uh because you said you hung out with the british team what did you think of uh dylan nelson puking on the platform there? so
2: yeah so dylan was the antagonist of worlds because that dude was trying to start shit with everybody the whole time he was uh like he was trying to kill Yugi with shots bro like he would every like five minutes. Yeah, let's do another drink. Let's do another drink. Here, here you go. Here you go. Gave Yuki, and Yuki's just like stumbling around the whole time.
0: Hey, he, Dylan, he want,
2: yeah, he wanted to to get him, um, and you know, Yuki survived.
0: Dylan is a wild boy. Dylan is out of his mind. I was going to say that if you saw him puke on the platform, that probably was not the only time that he puked while at Worlds.
2: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was fun. It, it was one of those things where like you know, I wanted to make the most of it. I wanted to have these conversations and, you know, chat with, you know, people that I would normally wouldn't have. Right. So, you know, going around hanging with all the, the British team, the Australians, um, all the team France um, trained with Leah a few days, trained with uh, Penna a couple times. Um, Jess after the meet, me and Jess did a lot of uh, squats, bench training, all that kind of stuff. Just fun. You know, it's, for me, that's the experience for worlds. It's the things outside of the meet that you never would have, right? Like, you know, I, I hung out and had a uh, Yuki translate like for me with the uh, Japan national team. And, you know, when would that ever happen? When would I be having these interactions with people like that? So yeah. that type of stuff was a big deal for me personally, especially as someone that's never been overseas at all until this last trip, right? Like yeah. I've always only been in the United States or Mexico or Canada. Um, you know, and, and I, we could even talk about the, the Dubai trip that I had as well, uh, because that was a big part of this world's trip was me flying out to worlds like two and a half weeks early. Right. Yeah. Like because I was gone for eight days, nine days in Dubai before I even did anything. So, yeah, the whole the whole trip, man, was such a great experience, like a <clears throat> like life not life-changing because it's a little too much, but it was a big, it was a huge deal for me in my life.
0: I mean, winning was life-changing, I would say. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. I mean, it is one of those things. It's like now winning, like what's the expectation now? It's like chances of the world champ. Like you got to be the world champ. Like this, this is all new territory. I'm not used to winning. (laughs) I'm used to being number two or three or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, okay, now I have to, if I was putting in 110%, I'm at 130, 140 and I'm like, chance, like you are that person that has to do everything perfectly. I have to be a hundred percent. And yeah. so now like being in this position, I'm like, okay, like let's fucking do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, dude. I'm, what makes me really happy about it. Like aside from all, you know, my, my personal relationship with you is like, you know, for example, and we've, we've kind of talked about this before, like maybe a few years ago, you were, you were kind of an antagonist in some people's eyes, just cause you're very very polarizing, very energetic, and like you're opinionated, right and mm-hmm. um, I think in today's day and age, unfortunately, like having strong opinions is viewed negatively, like just being milk toast and tolerable is like somehow a virtue. but I think that in in more recent years, because of the amount of work that you put in, uh, I think that like it's you've built this like really, really solid backing of people who like want to see the guy who's like clawed tooth and nail get to the top. And I think that a lot of people, like, you know, people within my circle, people just who are fans of the sport, like so many people were, were, you know, just genuinely proud to have seen you win because it's, 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 it's like a relatable story or it, or it makes people feel, inspired because it's not just the, the genetic freak like coming in and, and doing exactly what was expected. Right. It was the guy who, you know, like you said, I think it, I think at nationals 2015, I totaled like 1515, you totaled like maybe like 1421 or something. Right. And it's just like the climb since then has been so immense where it's like, even if, even if you were somebody who did view you as a polarizing person, it would be impossible for them to have not taken note in the past two years, like shit, this man's on the come up shit. He's a threat. Holy fuck. He has potential to win. Holy shit. He won. Right? Like I think that it inspires so many people to see something like that because it really is a, you know, cause with, with powerlifting and strength sports in general, right? It's like people recognize that there's just like this genetic component that if you're gifted, you're gifted and you can get away with a lot of stuff. And if you're not gifted, you could bust your ass and, never get anywhere, right? But there's like this middle ground where you have the people who, you know, are well-suited enough for the sport to take it seriously, but know they have to perfect everything. When they see you accomplish this, it's like, this is a guy who dialed in absolutely everything, who had the stars align, who did everything he could to get the stars to align and like made it come to life, right? It almost feels like a, like a you know a, like a feel-good movie in a way so i'm just already expressed the 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 pride in you but i'll, I'll say it again because it was really really cool to see thank you
2: yeah it is one of those things too um i don't i didn't ex- i didn't expect it i didn't think i could even do it even on the flight there i wasn't thinking like yeah i'm gonna win or you know anything like that mm. so it is so like i don't know how to handle it you kind of want to like i'm sure in school or school sports you were taught like hey would you go to the end zone for the first time act like you've been there before you know in my head i'm like act like you've been there before but like i'm like holy shit let's let's fucking go <laughs> let's, you know, out, out, outside right because it is something so new yeah um so you know I, and i and i know like you know Beating Kaiko and you know Emil Krastev, which was amazing. He did really well. He's he jacked,
0: is. dude. He's a yeah, he's 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 big. I
2: mean, it's funny, it's because he's big. Gustav is like walks around like ninety seven kilos, ninety eight kilos. Um, he's tall. He's like almost six foot or six foot. Um, it's surprising, like all these other a- athletes that are so close. You know, it's like one kilo between me and Emil, and then like five between me. And in Keiko, and Kaiko probably could have been closer to where I was at, depending on what happened on the day. And then, you know, the other lifters, everybody was so close, um, where it's like one or two lifts shifted everything. Uh, like, I'm not guaranteed to win the next time, like, at all. I'm, like, yep. very easily could place fifth next time, right? D- depending on what happens. So I have to work that much harder to make sure that does not fucking happen. Yeah. Um, and everybody wants me to lose, right? Like, not, not everybody. Our camp, our people, they all want to me do well and I'm super support, uh, happy for the support right like but there's a large spectrum of people that do not want me to win and they're like fuck can't believe chance one we cannot let this happen again yeah we need to pull him back down he thinks he's the shit he thinks he's blah blah, blah 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 let's fucking ruin him that's the vibe where I'm getting now and I know that's out there so in my head I'm like no we are not gonna let this happen we are yep. going to fucking win and we got to keep winning that's it yep.
0: I love it <laughs> so with that and I'll ask, I'll ask Aiden as well. So what, what's next? What are the, the next competitive plans then for everyone? You can go first, Aiden.
1: All right. Well, <clears throat> I'm three weeks out, uh, from, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just doing a local meet at the gym I train at. Um, the, the timing worked out pretty well. Uh, just, it's a middle summer and it's a 15 minute drive cause it's the gym I train at. Um, Barbells and barbecue, so I'm going to enjoy some barbecue after as well. So that'll be nice. Um, no, but I was looking really, I've, I've done a bunch of uh, you know, national meats and big meats uh, over and over again. So it's nice to have local meat, and it's nice to, I, I really wanted to do this meat to see like what I'm, I'm capable of, you know, with a good couple of mesocycles that are like interrupt, uh, uninter- uninterrupted. Um, because I've just had so much going on you know uh being in nursing school so um you know it's 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 nice to have this opportunity to see what I'm I'm actually capable of uh when I'm not just super busy and you know there's other things that are going on outside of that as well that um and, and then and then also you know we've we've uh figured out my training a bit more I'd say Sean so yeah I think uh I'll I'll get a display what uh like the the past year year and a half of work I've put in where I I don't feel like I've been able to display
2: that properly uh with the meats that I have done. Mm-hmm. And you're going dude like you still have like so much more meats to do and like practice and just refine it that it's worth just picking something like this that's kind of local to get some like just good practice in, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just have some fun.
2: Yeah.
0: I need some barbecue. <laughs> yeah.
2: There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, now go ahead. I, I was going to say, you know, I wanted to do something somewhat overseas, uh, something to try to get more practice internationally. Um, the only problem is, is if I do a big meet like Europeans, so I was talking to King and the Woods about this, is that I could actually go to Europeans and do it. Um, is that, and I could actually still break records. I don't know how this works, but, there's a way apparently if I get invited um, that it bumps up for Sheffield, which is not good. Like, I don't want to bump up any of the records, right? Like I would have to go underneath. Um, and in that point it's like, okay, what am I doing? Right. So I need to do something that's almost unofficial or can get me, you know, a total that's unofficial, but still is, you know, international travel and practice in a scenario that is not ideal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, looking, looking at something like that, but, I don't want to you know make any promises on any dates or anything, but something in between now and Sheffield. So Sheffield, for those that don't know, is March 23rd or 24th, and it's like a $460,000 payout meet, the biggest meet ever. Um, It's a big tested meet. It's 20 to 22 lifters total. It's only the top uh, IPF world champions and specific wild card spots from IPF worlds. So it's a very prestigious meet, very big deal to go. And I'm uh, seated pretty well, so. Uh, yeah winning some money there would be very nice
0: yeah i mean that yeah dude that would be so that's such a fucking fat cash pool dude holy shit
2: (laughs) yeah bro like first place in each one i think it's like 50k um 50k not including like your bonuses for each record right so they pay out for records they pay out for your placing overall based on the scoring so that's (laughs) your percentage over the world record total you do and that's how the scoring actually works uh so if you do even decently well you're getting you know 10 15k at
0: least. So so let me ask. So if you are 838 kilo Taylor Atwood how much money do you win at Sheffield? Like what's the max out that you could win?
2: Oh wait, are you saying that Taylor wins for sure? Is what you're saying? No no no. No, what I'm yeah. saying
0: is if you're if you're Prime Taylor Atwood, right? So like you mm-hmm. take his like 838 that he hit oh, like okay. nationals and you're just untouchable by everyone else. You break every record in your weight class. What's the maximum payout you can get?
2: I think depending also, if you're an SPD athlete, you also mm-hmm. make a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but I, I think it may be like a little over 50 something, 60 K. That's okay. the end range. Okay. Um, I mean, that's yeah. as of what I understand now. I mean, that's what we have loosely. SPD hasn't, you know, Announce the particulars yet uh but that's what i've heard so gotcha. but the, the, the good thing is and i, I like this and i kind of don't they're paying out to like top 10 or something yeah so this you know at the end it's smaller payout but it's even if you only get like 10th or 8th or ninth or whatever you do as long as you break one of the single lift records you get an extra six grand so that's pretty good but i mean Based off for me, because the world record is 878.5 with me going six for nine, um, if I get stronger at all and I can push that, I will, um, I have a good shot of being up there. A lot of people won't even be above their world record total. So for example, like Delaney, he would have to get you know, significantly stronger has to beat Russell's total, right? Yeah. Um, Atwood, he's probably the best position out of anybody because his world record is much lower than his comp best, um, yeah. but it was done domestically. Uh, but even still, like, it's Taylor Atwick, right? Like, yeah. him helping and are, doing everything.
0: His lifts are also just so straightforward. Like, worrying about the standard is not even a concern. Yeah. So he
2: he needs to do, like, 810, 820 at least to probably win, which is very reasonable for him to do no matter what. Yeah. Um, I think even the women, like, if you watched uh, Turbo Tiff, um, she pushed her world record total up pretty high. So for her to break that, it has to be significantly over that. And that's, you know, factoring everything else in. It's, it's a yeah. little difficult. I, w- I would say though, because it's in the like, European uh, side, a lot of them have an advantage because uh, there's not really that travel. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, Sean? Because you did, you know, international travel before. Uh, do you think it's as big of a deal as people say? I'll, I, I'll I say wanted to mention I'll, this because I, I this didn't talk to is, yeah. you about this. Yeah.
0: I'll, I'll say this. I think that for the people who try to make it seem like travel is a big deal, like I, I think that for the people who try to make it seem like a big deal, it's really not that big of a deal. And then for the people who completely brush it off, it is a big deal. And I'll give, and I'll give my reasons why. I think that if you're someone who acts like it's going to be this massive you know, game changer or whatever, you know, I think some people say that just when like, after the fact they have a bad performance and they want to like, <laughs> add a, a, another potential variable there. Like People just say travel and they don't go into why travel would affect you or wouldn't affect you you just say, Oh, the travel, right? right. Like old do you travel for, so it's going to make a difference, right? There are many circumstances where you can control the variables that travel might throw off. For example, food, right? A lot of people say, Oh, I didn't have the food that I normally eat. like then fucking pack it. Exactly. Like, yeah. You can literally. You can literally control this. Like you're an adult pack your mm-hmm. own food or if you don't know how to cook, fucking learn how to cook. Like you're not a child anymore right? The circumstances where I think it it does affect you and and how I I think that this can play a role is, for example, when I went to Belarus, right? You're flying however many hours it was, I think it maybe it was like a 12 hour flight in total, or maybe summing up all the flights, right? So the time difference is one thing, but in Belarus, it is sunny, like all the fucking time. Like you'd go to bed at midnight or 11, 11 PM and the sun is still kind of up. And then at 4 a.m., the sun is shining. So if you fly somewhere, have a time change, and then also just can't fucking sleep because your body's circadian rhythm is adjusted to Eastern Standard, and then it's sunny all the time, it's like, that's one of those things where you can try your best to like go to sleep, but it's like, you're kind of fighting your your biology and it's not always that, that simple. Right. So there are always like weird things that happen with travel that absolutely can have an effect. Right. Like if you have days of like inconsistent sleep patterns, that's just that's just going to affect like force output. Like there's really nothing you could do there. But I think that there are a lot of people who will just like use travel as just like this, this, this catch all phrase when there really were a ton of things that that were, we're in them. your control. Yeah, exactly. That's like remember, that, like that read, is the biggest thing, though, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. What I was going to say is, I remember being at Worlds in Belarus, and everyone's like, oh, there's no fucking food to eat. And it's like, you know, that the cuisine here is not your typical food. Like, you can pack microwavable rice, like, you can pack whey, you can pack peanut butter, you can pack bread. Like, there's just so many ways that if you just prepare, you'll avoid what you thought was the the biggest, you know, uh, inhibiting factor that travel created. So.
2: Right. There's a lot of things that you need to control for, but I think there's some that you just forget, right? Like that you just don't know that you need this. So that is the part where, yeah, I mean, you should be able to plan all those things out. Um, but there are some things like Heather, right? Heather, I don't know if you saw like her flights got canceled like multiple times. She missed like so many flights. She was supposed to get there like six days early. She got there with like one day to spare or something. And for oh, wow. a small lifter where like her already missing like three or four days of training or something like that, that's definitely going to have an effect. Oh, right? And that was, that was out of her control. Like she couldn't control the fact that the flights canceled or now this got pushed over or delayed. Um So things like that are out of your control. But outside of that, you know, you're right. Like the sleep thing is probably the biggest thing. And even then you could probably control that if you have some sort of sleep aid or something that helps a little bit more um but yeah i mean it's it's all on you I, people i think just say that because there are certain things that if you have all these variables that are kind of within your control there's some that you can't quite get quite right no matter what like right like we'll just a, a lot that like percentage you know difference right um and so that is the biggest thing like when it's like 20 something hours to south africa and then you have to drive three hours with a shuttle from there that may or may not pick you up on time that may be there when they, they're supposed to be there. Um, it's, it's rough that, I mean, those are the biggest things that I had was setting up the time zone and I would say the food, I packed all of my food. I had cliff bars fucking every day. I ate a shit ton of them. Um, and you need to do that. Otherwise, yeah, you are going to be in a rough situation. Um, And you also need a monkey repellent too, as well. So that was one thing that I packed.
0: Dude. Okay. So when I, when I saw Gavin's story, I'm not lying. The first thing, the first thing I thought was like, like, is Gavin being, like, just publicly racist that's right, right, right now? Yes, that's exactly right. I was right. like, bro's, then, bro's about to get canceled. I was <laughs> like, Gavin, what the fuck are you <laughs> doing? Like, you can't say that. And then I'm like, click through the stories, and I'm like, oh, my God, a monkey's broke into his fucking hotel room. Yeah, because I thought he got robbed at first. And I was like, why are you saying monkey's monkey? <laughs> oh man what what (laughs) i'm amazed about is that nobody either found dead monkeys or was (laughs) killed by monkeys because it looked like they definitely ate through a lot of pre-workout
2: yeah we watched i mean we were outside you know in like the balcony area like eating you know and we were just monkey watching, right? Like watching hotel rooms from outside and the monkeys are swinging over to each room and they like pull on the door to make sure that they could get in or not. Like they're used to this shit. They're so fucking live. live, Yeah, they they live this shit. They like, okay, I'm going to go through this room. Oh, I see that this, you know, uh, balcony is open. Cool, we're going to go in there and we're going to check it out. And they're literally just pulling on doors to see if they open. It's wild.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean... The monkeys there, they weren't, like,
2: very big monkeys. They were, like, tiny little monkeys,
1: right? Like, yeah. and they ate that entire tub of Jack Factory. That's, like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Like, I can just imagine, like, a little monkey foaming at the mouth.
0: <laughs> but it reminds, it reminds me of the, uh, the memes that get posted. Like, there have been a couple of them in the past couple months where it's, like, if I went back in time to the medieval ages and gave, like, uh, like a little kid <laughs> the pop rock <laughs> or yeah. something and they just, like, start freaking out, like... I'm surprised that they never heard anything, but it is, it's crazy to think about like the way that, you know, like society, like when we form our own infrastructure and, and just people are living in, in whatever area, how the animals then learn to interact with that. Cause like monkeys are obviously super fucking smart, but even like um, like crocodiles, for example, which are just reptilians, right? Like their brains are so much more low level. like in areas that are densely populated by humans, like they, they will not like in, in, in a more wild scenario, like they might be more afraid of, of the the population, you know, if like humans came to whatever part of their, their water, but like in more densely populated areas, like their, their demeanor toward human and like when they go out and all that sort of stuff, like they're used to it. So they're like on the offensive. So it's really, uh, it's wild to think of something like that. Like, I can't, I'm trying to draw like a parallel in, he, in you know, the US where it's like, you don't just have deer, like, you know, banging on your doors or like the videos you see of like black bears, they like come into your house and shit. I mean, have you seen the video that like, that orangutan that
1: drives the golf cart and he's just like, has got one, he, one hand on the wheel and like
2: one hand on the, <laughs> the roof of the golf cart and he's just driving the thing.
0: They're so yeah. smart. It's unbelievable.
2: Literally. But the staff was just walking around with paintball guns, you know, to <laughs> get them around because they'll go up to people when they're eating and do shit like that because they don't, you know, they're unafraid oh, at all this goodness. place, right? It's a huge, I mean, the the, the area that we were staying at is – like a multi-hotel resort city, quote-unquote. Um, and so, like, they are tourists everywhere, obviously, and they're not used to it, so the monkeys kind of take advantage of, of you. Like, they'll run up and grab your shit and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was weird, very weird. Uh, um,
0: did not like South Africa. You know,
2: I'll just say it right now. Everybody everybody asks you, you know, how is South Africa? Don't you love it here? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. You know, that type of thing. Um, definitely not for me. I'm never going back. <laughs> <laughs> It looked pretty beautiful. Look that city, okay, so that city is sectioned off. You have to go through a gate to get in, and it's like very high security, right? It's like a very, and I say city, it's like six, seven buildings, right? But it's very sectioned off. It's for the richier people to be at, and that's it. Um, there's no other area. And then outside of that, if you guys have heard of Johannesburg, it's very high crime rates, very dangerous, not good to go out at night, stuff like that.
0: Oh yeah. So, so for those of you listening, I mean, you guys obviously know Blake Barrett, but Blake Barrett is South African. His parents are from, are from South Africa. And he was telling me the other day, he's like, Oh yeah, dude, like in, in, you know, cause like you're saying, this is like a gated off air. He's like, you don't stop at red lights in South Africa. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, you yeah. treat it like a stop sign. If you stop at a red light, you will get robbed. And I was like, that is, yeah, that's insane.
2: Yeah. It's, it was pretty sad to be around areas like that. I mean, going through um, and, you know, seeing what the corrupted governments and system that they had over there. I mean, it's the type of system where cops pull you over and you're like, okay, here's money. All right, cool. We're going to talk about it. You just keep driving. Stuff like that is very common over there. So uh, yeah, ho- hopefully we'll have to have to go to South Africa again. Most I mean, so it should be pretty sick, you know, South I mean, of Italy, I'm assuming that's going to be a very good spot.
0: Def- yeah. That's the one thing where I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's the only part of IP <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out on next year. Yeah. Although in theory, I guess I could compete in February if I really wanted to. Mm. Um, but yeah, no Malta, Malta sounds great. That's awesome. Do they know where it's going to be the following year yet? Or have they not yet voted on that?
2: I don't think we are aware yet. Okay. I think there's a couple different bid options, but I don't know for, for sure.
0: Got you, got you. I think we're supposed to find out soon where nationals is because they just released the schedule, but I don't think we have a location yet. I wonder. USAPL. They, nationals. Yeah, yeah. USAPL nationals. Where's where's PLA? I think
2: it's in Austin again.
0: Oh, okay. That's convenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my competitive plans for the next mm. year are all over the fucking place. So. I've done a lot of locals interspersed between, you know, the higher level meets and originally, and I still think it's a good idea for me to do regardless, but originally the intent of doing those meets was to just get like more platform practice and more composure. And like I've put together really solid meets at the local level, even with like with good judging, right? Like I've had, there was a meet that I did at TSS that had like all national refs in the chairs at all times. So it's just like, you know, Still a local, of course, uh, but getting practice, right? But I think the conclusion that Steve and I came to is like, okay, like you can perform at that level. Like we need to get you performing at these higher level meets. Um, And for that reason, I'm thankful that the pro series is a thing because it does give me the opportunity to practice at that higher level in between nationals multiple times. So I'll be doing the Virginia pro in December I'll be doing the Arnold in March, Uh, but even before, so before that, (laughs) I'm competing in two days. Um, I'm not actually like treating it like a real meet. It's a pro series meet where you can win cash. So I'm just going to go in and win cash, but I'm doing a meet in two weeks or sorry, in two days. And uh, yeah, so I'm doing that. And then those pro series meets will be nice because like, I, I think the thing that'll be good is that, you know, I don't, I don't have a head to head until September. So I'll take both of those meets kind of at like whatever body weight I walk in at. Right. Like if that's like 84 kilos, whatever, just like have the opportunity to train, have everything go perfectly. Go in like either demonstrate or not that I can, you know, execute lifts at that level. And I have two of those opportunities now where it's like, if I can perform there, that is just like much more momentum, much more like predictability than coming into September versus the pro series doesn't exist. Maybe I do one meet in, you know, you know, January, maybe I do the Arnold, maybe I do another local. It's just like, it's not the same.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I'm, I'm happy that those opportunities exist and uh, yeah, I'll be busy competing, but it's going to be, what I'm excited about is like, or what I'm, how I'm treating it and why I'm excited about how I'm treating it is like, I'm just going to train as, as how we feel is going to be the best way to get me stronger and like, just kind of roll into the meat rather mm-hmm. than being like, Oh, like we got to start the Virginia pro prep, or we got to start the Arnold prep. And like, you, you know how it is. And, I, and it's like when you get this like discrete shift where you go like prep mode, where you feel like you need to do something extra for a prep. And I think I've found myself in more recent years, like the best meets that I've had or preps that I've had, have been the ones where like, we just like, Kind of ride whatever wave we currently have, and that's the the tone that I would like to carry through. You know, the rest of of 2022 and early 2023.
2: So that's worked out well for me. There's a lot of I'm I'm not sure if people watching my preps or anything have seen. Um, there's a lot of like the same pattern I just stick to, and then it's kind of a, like a very quick drop off, and that's worked really well. And at least in terms of consistency and expectations for what I have, it's very reliable. So, yep. like, even pushing, so, like, new secret exercise coming out um, <laughs> that, uh, like, Greatest. I'm doing a different, a different one. Yep, yep, yep. But this, we're, this is keeping under wraps. I ain't saying shit because uh, I don't want to help you motherfuckers out anymore. Like, you guys steal my shit. You know, it's great. I love seeing it. But also, I need to get my, uh, my leg up. So, you know, that one's on, on, the, on the low. Um, but on this new one, I'm just going to run this, keep everything else the same, add this new exercise in boom, push it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully do a meet in 10 ish weeks as well. So yeah, yeah, I want to keep pushing and doing more meets.
0: What I'm excited for for like the landscape of powerlifting coaching is exactly what you said with predictability, Mm -hmm. because I think that, and we've, you know, we've talked about this before. And, and so for people listening, uh, it'll be me, Michael and Aiden will be doing seminars in Texas in August. And, um, if you are listening to this and you're in the Austin area, you're in the Houston area, you'll be able to attend. We're doing one at, uh, TSS Houston. We're doing another at, um, game day, game day barbell in Austin. My topic is going to be basically my systematic approach to, um, like intro block formation and just like, I'm literally going to deconstruct my entire programming philosophy. Like it's going to be a lot. Um, and one of the things that I think that I'm excited to see, and I think is just yielding just better power lifters is, is leaning into that predictability and, and tweaking of just like what you have found to work rather than the old like textbook model of like, okay, we train during this phase. Cause we're this far out of comp with these rep ranges. And then we get closer to comp and we train with these rep ranges. Cause I can't tell you, you know, I have one lifter who's coming to me that we're starting next week that just one of the many examples where I've seen this, where it's like, they don't have the meat that they expected. And then you look at their training and you're like, oh, I see exactly why it happened. Cause your coach thought it's peaking time. Let's (laughs) do this peaking stuff. And it's like the intensity goes way up. The rep ranges change. And it's like, sometimes that absolutely is the answer. You know, Aiden, you're I coach you and we know that for you going through kind of these discreet changes in this like hypertrophy block strength block fashion works really well. But the thing is like, if you're seeing the top end improve dramatically with a given structure and then you think, you know, Oh, that's just, they're doing that in spite of being in a volume phase. Like now it's time to like do like five by twos and increase the intensity. It's like, no, 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 no. Like Mm -hmm. that's the best they've ever been. There's probably like insight to extract from that, right? How can we make that better and carry that into the comp? And now we have so much more predictability for meet day because we've had now weeks of performing well on this blueprint. Like we can just carry that through. And I think that's why like you've been so successful and why you were able to keep momentum after powerlifting America nationals. Cause you didn't say, Oh, well the meat's over. Let's like start rebuilding it's like you saw that you still had momentum, you know, you didn't die out after the meet. So you didn't have to restart. You can just go do the same shit that you were doing with the little tweaks. And that's Mm -hmm. why you're able to come in, you know, five kilos stronger, 10 kilos stronger at this level.
2: Yeah, that was a big thing. Because I remember hearing Gavin say something like, yeah, while, well, you know, Kaiko and Chance are competing, you know, they're going to have to compete and turn around again and do Worlds in a short time span. And to me, I was like, there yeah, that, may, that may be an issue for, like, Kaiko or somebody else, but not for me. Like, your boy training, like, two days after. Your boy pushing things, two days after. There's no drop-off on anything. Yeah. Um, and so that is kind of, you know, I, I, my whole thing for me, that, like, the rebranding of Meta, like, this is the meta of what is going on now. Like, this is what we are changing to. You see this time and time again of people doing this less of a drop-off phase in volume and keeping things predictable um, and seeing the adjustments in training. You know, if you see the progress in training, we can, you know, get this to translate into comp. And if you don't fuck it up, <laughs> you're going to be good. You know, yeah. it's, it's not hard. You know, I, I think there's a lot of that. That we are getting towards, especially with the the increase in frequency on like squatting on bench for sure. It is more repeatable. It's more predictable. It's way less uh, risk for sure.
0: No, I mean the approach is just more. It's just more bottom up at this point. Right. Like you remember the days of, you know, like as the intermediate between like, you know, we had like the textbook styles of periodization that like you, you literally open a textbook on strength training and this is what they're going to talk about. And then you have where we're at now, right? Like the intermediate was like the Mike Zordos, like Ben escrow era of like overreach and like Mm -hmm. volume was the main driver of progress. And if we pull back after overreaching, we're going to super compensate. And it's like, sometimes you have athletes where that happens and sometimes it's a dumpster fire. Right, And now we're kind of approaching this era of like, I think people are kind of like refining upon, you know, the, you know, still using a DUP model and then also like refining upon like the, like do what works or do what makes you stronger that like Mike T espoused, right? And just kind of just interpreting what the athlete gives you. Yeah. And it's like sometimes, you know, like I've said this a thousand times already, right? It's like sometimes the, you know, the high rep deadlifts work. Right. It's just like from a textbook or a, an exercise science standpoint, like this shouldn't make any sense, but like if, it, if it's, if it is happening, just like, let it happen.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So. Of
2: course. Yeah. The, the, the biggest thing too I think that we probably didn't mention too much is also the athletes that are um, in a particular like training point in their like career, right. If they, they're at like a very high point um, and not like, gaining into a new weight class, right? Like they're not transitioning into this. That's where something like the traditional stuff would probably have more merit. Would you think where they're, you know, like gaining into a new weight class, that's where you can see more of a, Hey, I'm going to compensate more for this you know, taper. Right. That we do.
0: Oh yeah. So you're saying like, if you're someone who's like in a surplus or starting mm-hmm. to fill out a class, like being more, like textbook with things traditional
2: would probably would probably make a little bit more sense or at least airing towards that side of the spectrum a little bit yeah i
0: think so yes so one of the things i was going to say before you said that which is exact now that you said that this is perfect to say is like when you when you get elite and then as a consequence of being elite progress slows the window of things that work for you becomes very very tiny right? So like if you're filling out a new weight class or moving up a new weight class, that widens the window, right? And it widens the window in very particular ways where if you are filling out a class and you now have more food, right? The tissue aspect of things now becomes a, a bucket that you can fill, right? You can now start throwing resources at that. So the
2: bucket analogy again. Yep, yeah, a
0: bucket analogy. <laughs> so like yeah. if you are elite but now you've opened the door, opened that window and you've given yourself more leeway. If you recognize that the tissue aspect is that specific Avenue that you can now go down, right. Mm -hmm. Then that traditional, like, okay, let's take time, like training the alternate deadlift stance or doing like high rep stuff like that can be very beneficial. Right. And then maybe you can transition back into a quote unquote strength block and you're going to see great gains. One, because you're just in a surplus to begin with, but two, now you're actually utilizing like new tissue that you have. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're, you know, in my shoes and you've been the same weight forever, it's like that, that that's not a training style you're going to take. It's like, now it's like, we are, you know, you're a, um, you know, a fucking like excavator and you're just like trying to, you know, pull away the fucking sand and you're like, okay, where is the thing that we need to be doing Mm -hmm. right now? Because we know that it's very specific and we haven't quite found it. So we need to like figure out what the fuck it is. And then once we figure it out, we just like double down on that because that's mm-hmm. the only thing you can do, right? Like I'm not going to get a, you know, 700 pound squat by, you know, spending a block doing like five by 10 high bar and, you know, shit like that. And no, then, no, no, no. Reddit
2: Reddit says you should. That That yeah. is the way to do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just go through the the work capacity building block. No, it just like that just doesn't, that just doesn't work. Right. So yeah i feel I, like I think, we shouldn't
2: be we giving this out for free bro like all okay. these discussions like like it sounds like so like obvious to us and i and i think but there's so many people that are like oh yeah i'm gonna steal this shit i'm i'm running this shit now and it's good well, i, I want to help some people out but at the same time some of you want. oh
0: first. i i definitely agree <laughs> with you i definitely agree with you like the mm-hmm. You know, what we're, what we're talking about right now, I think, I think it's, a, it's a reward for sitting through the entirety of this thing because you know only the loyal boys are going to make the, it to the very end, right? So if you're listening right now and you've made it all the way here, you, you've, you've reaped what you've sowed. You've earned your rewards or the spoils. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's like why I've not gone through the effort of like detailing my, my framework or my model until mm-hmm. we end up going, doing this, this seminar, like this will be the, like the V1 of it as a, as an actual presentation. Cause I've gone through this stuff in like the one-on-one stuff that I've done with the coaches I've, I've done mentorships with, but like, this will be the first time that I, that I actually go through describing what I think modern powerlifting coaching has become. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I think, you know, you look at, at any primetime athlete that's coached by like a well-known coach right? Like we don't see drastic changes in their training from year to year or sorry, from, from block to block. Um, you know, we don't see this like massive, you know, overreaching style anymore. Like you watch an athlete prep for a meet, like I'll use like, just cause I've watched a lot of his videos and he posts a lot. Like I'll use Angelo Fortino for example, right? Like if I watch one of his meet preps, I know what weeks eight through four are going to look like. And I know what weeks four through one are going to look like, <laughs> yeah. and then the next meet or the next meet prep, I know it's going to be a refined version of that framework. Run again, like it's predictability is what we're seeking, mm-hmm. right? And I think that 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 the good coaches are are catching on to that.
2: Hundred percent, yeah, I hundred percent agree. But let's close out here if we could with um, one of the topics that I brought up to you earlier before we started this is the drug testing and powerlifting discussion and how none of the top level lifters are clean.
0: Yeah, dude. So, (laughs) so one of the things that was funny, so the reason that this was brought up is that I use that app. If you're listening to this half of you or maybe more might be sick of seeing this on Instagram, but the app, it's like not going to lie or whatever. It's the anonymous question submission app. I use it because I think I get better questions. Right. Like you just embolden people to ask better questions or maybe they're a bit more brazen and they try to insult you and fucking dunk on you and it it fails miserably. Right. But the other day, somebody was chiming in about drug tested powerlifting, not really being drug free. That's been an argument forever. Right. And Candido messaged me and he goes, dude, the YouTubers must be migrating to Instagram because this has been the comment sections of YouTube videos forever. And usually Instagram hasn't been like that, but now you're getting a ton of a ton of them. And I I don't, I want to lay out my points and I'm sure you guys will, will agree as well or or add to it. But I really, I truly do not believe that the top, at least USAPL, but I'd probably argue that like most of the like well-established, well-known IPF fed. So like Great Britain, France, um, Australia, you know, New Zealand, right? Like Canada, Definitely. I would argue that most of the top lifters are not on drugs, right? And, and one of the big reasons, and I won't repeat myself from the anonymous stuff and I'll let you guys say it, but one of the big reasons that I, that I think I didn't touch on that most people don't think of is how the, the organizational payment structure works for pro sports. Cause that's what people are always citing versus powerlifting. Okay. In powerlifting, the organizations make their money off of the members paying to compete. In professional sports, the organizations pay millions of dollars to get the athletes to compete because in exchange they make make back many more millions of dollars off of filling out stadiums, merchandise, apparel, whatever, right? That's That's the investment that they make in paying these players, right? The USAPL, for example, is not making money off of filling a massive stadium for people watching. Right. So there is not the same incentive to preserve the quality of your athlete from a performance standpoint in powerlifting as there is professional sports. Right. Because if Mike Trout or Alex Rodriguez or Barry Bonds or any stud of the generation pops for steroids, you now have 10,000 fewer people wanting to come to an Angels game or a Giants game or a Yankees game. And now that means that tens of thousands of fewer jerseys are being sold. And now an organization is losing money because their record is going to be worse, right? From a business standpoint, it makes sense to have a system in place, but kind of not have a system in place, right? Because anything that's happening underneath the surface that's allowing these athletes to perform well and ultimately make you millions of dollars You don't really want that to go away, right? If Bob or Petrie or Ashton or, you know, uh, Jesus, right? Like literally any of these guys, right? If any of these guys pop, Mm -hmm. that is not costing the USAPL money. You know, if if one of those athletes pops, you're not going to have a thousand USAPL members go, oh, well, my favorite lifter just failed their drug test. I'm going to stop competing. Right. That's the, where the USAPL loses their money is not affected by preserving the, the anonymity of the drug test or the, you know, or the integrity of the drug test, you know, for, for an athlete. So it just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense. Like from so many directions, it doesn't make sense. But that one in particular, there's no incentive for the organization to lie on behalf of an athlete and, and cover up tests.
2: Yeah. I think that's the the biggest one that I didn't hear phrased that way, but it makes a lot of sense. And especially for people listening, the incentives aren't there for them to try to try to, to get their top guys to fail, right? Like essentially to, to make it a clear playing true sport. Um, It's not there. So the biggest thing too, I don't know if you know, this is like, you know, in like training camps and stuff like that, a lot of times from what I hear from the people that I know, it's, it's, a very selective period that this is when we're doing our drug testing. And it could be any time between this four to six weeks of training camp or spring camp or whatever, um, or spring games and college sports or whatever it is. And then the rest of the year, it's completely fine. Oh yeah, And it's very clear that they make that distinction to go along with what you're saying. You know, that is essentially what it is. I think the next point would be in terms of inconsistencies and, you know, managing, you know, where people are saying, Oh, Hey, it's drug tested, not drug free meaning that people are trying to get around the actual timing of it um, would, would often lead to inconsistencies and in results for performance. Like on meet day, you would see a lot more inconsistency there or you would see people getting failing way more often than they are. Right. Yeah. We would see people, one of the two would have to happen, you know, that in that scenario that people are saying, so that's a big thing. And then the last one is like the injury rate, right? We would see more torn biceps, torn, you know, um, quads, torn hamstrings at the higher levels, especially with intermittent use of of drugs, in yeah. my opinion.
0: And like a very obvious one, like to go along with that is like, you would see people physically just deflating, like just getting smaller. Like if you were using and then not using, right? Like you would just see it through social media, right? Because if you're talking about you think the top athletes are on, or the top athletes are using whatever, like the top athletes are very active on social media. Like if you saw, you know, for example, like, you know, Russ, for example, he trains heavy, right? So you know that that's why his numbers are inflated in the off season. And then as he diets down, they revert back to whatever they're going to be at that body weight. But if he stayed the same weight, right? Like, so you, you knew like, oh, he's like 185 in the off season. And then you saw like, just, just drop off. You'd be like, oh, okay. Like something is, is fishy here. Right? But that's what you would see happen. You would see this just nonsensical deflation or or reduction in strength through social media posting. Like it just it just wouldn't it wouldn't happen in that in that way. Also, like I'm not an endocrinologist, right? But for someone to be taking this assortment of drugs and things that can mask stuff, right? Like and and not show up on a test as we know, like you get randomly drug tested. Like it is, it is random. You enter a registered testing pool. Like I used to, I used to work around like pro athletes, college athletes, whatever. And exactly what you're saying, chance is true. Like I literally remember being told that, Oh yeah. Like there's a guy that, that, that played for the, um, the Carolina Panthers and he was like, yeah, we were told like, at the end of August, like this month we're going to get tested. And it's like, other than that, it's nothing. Right. So if you're getting randomly tested, something is going to something is gonna show up, right? Like you can't unless the average like YouTube powerlifting commenter or Redditor thinks that like me. And anybody else in the registered testing pool are in cahoots and we're really covering for the USAPL and it's not actually random and we get secret emails on a different server telling (laughs) us like, hey, it's actually not going to, we're not actually going to come randomly test you. Like it's going to be during this period and this period. It's like, we're all just at the whim of whenever they want to show up. Like I had Arian Kamezi show up to my gym one day and I wasn't even like there yet. Like I got a call, he's like, I'm at the gym and I'm like, oh fuck, I got to go there now. Like, it's just, it's completely, it's completely fucking random.
2: Yeah. That's such a, that's such a good point. Like, I think the, the time windows, we would, we would have to see more failures. Yeah. And I, I think there has to be a lot of conspiracy going on otherwise.
0: Also, like we were saying this before the call, you know, if you were, If you were using drugs that maybe have like a a shorter half-life like i think i I could be wrong here but i remember someone telling me like you know like trend has like a shorter half-life and like maybe you could get away with like taking it at some point right like something like that has pretty visible you know presentations or side effects right whereas like maybe a more modest one where you could get away with not looking suspicious right like let's say you know, one of us went to the doctor and we're like, I want a script for, you know, 200, you know, uh, you know, 200 tests, right. That's going to show up in a drug test. Like you are not going to just, you're not going to be able to get away with, you know, uh, gambling with a random drug test time. And then having something like that, that has a longer half-life, like it's just, it's just, I, I hate even having to argue it. Like, it's just not even uh a reasonable take and then their argument i
2: guess because i saw this too on one of the posts you made is comparing it to weightlifting where you know there's not as much weightlifters as... are natty
0: as fuck <laughs> bro u.s weightlifters <laughs> their drug the drug testing system for us for you saw is super stringent the culture is like very very anti-steroids and like it's probably why you saw sucks like they don't win anything
2: yeah yeah, I mean, so, you know, it is,
0: I, I don't know really what to say to those people.
2: I kind of, you know, I had that uh, podcast with Pete Rupish and all of the comments were like, there's no way he could do that. He could deadlift this. At, no, it just doesn't happen. Like flat out. It's not, a, it's not possible. So it it doesn't matter. Like whatever he says, none of it is true. So it's like, okay, there's not much you can do at that point. Yeah despite me looking like I don't bench six days a week, like I, I look like I don't do upper body stuff. You know. Yeah. If imagine me and you, right. Like if you know, high frequency benchers or how much we push training, if we were on dude and we looked like this,
0: yeah. Like
2: that would be sad. <laughs> be
0: I mean, that's a thing that, I mean, that's also another thing. It's like, you know, there are some, there are some freaks, right? Like guys like Russ, guys like Ashton who hold like a ton of muscle. Right. But like, the discrepancy between drug tested and untested in terms of like muscle development is significant, right? Where like, if, if the top guys were on stuff, you'd also probably just see like a more apparent presentation in terms of just like just muscle density Mm -hmm. that you just don't get right. Like chance, you're super fucking strong, but like you are not chiseled, right? You don't have like that fucking, you know, windstraw dryness, right? Like you're not just, Whatever, it's it's just such a dumb. I don't even want to. It's making me angry. I don't even want
2: to. Half of your questions were like fucking retarded shit, dude. Like I I couldn't believe you went through some of those, man. Like, and I'm sure you posted only like ones that were okay. There's probably a ton of really stupid ones that you.
0: Oh, there there are a ton of really bad ones. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, cool. Um, I think we covered a lot on this one. This is yeah, like no, a definitely,
0: we definitely went a, a good bit on this one. This is going to be a long one. Aiden, do you have any, uh, any closing remarks? Any, any final things you want to say to the, uh, the Aiden faction of the Nori boys? <laughs> um... Which I, I'm going to actually cut you off before you answer. I fucking love your roster. <laughs> your boys are hysterical.
1: The... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the uh the best Nori subgroup.
0: The base the base Sigma leaders. Yeah.
1: Um I love my team. I love my uh my my group that I have and even though I am capped I'm like I'm very um <clears throat> very pleased with the people that I do coach. So I don't know. I just uh, it makes them very enjoyable doing what I do. Um then as far as you know any comments about drug testing i don't really i mean I, I i don't know what else to say other than you know the evidence that you've provided um i was like i went to like pan express with a few of my friends the other day after lifting and the topic of like they're like oh yeah there's no way that you know like russ like jamar like all the top lifters like that like you even was brought up like oh yeah they're all fake natties and i'm just like and just like man like just just look at me like if i've gotten to where i've gotten within like three to four years and i have like okay genetics like it, it just from my perspective it's it's very believable that like if i just lifted for another five to seven years like some of these guys have and i had elite tier genetics you know, it, it'd be definitely doable. So, and then that, they're like, oh, well, you, you bring up a good point there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, that ended the 30-minute argument of, is Russ natty?
2: <laughs> I don't even think it's the genetics thing, dude. I think it's like, if you barely get through that threshold of making progress for a long enough time, like, even if you don't have good genetics, 10 years of consistent making progress, as long as you don't have like, injuries, you should be able to get up close. Like I had this, I had this argument with a couple of people, but I, I think maybe you too, Sean, I was like, bro, like, I was like almost anybody can deadlift 700. And I don't know if we all agree here or not. But, I
0: definitely like, don't agree with that. I think, I think
2: all of these people can deadlift 700. If you believe long and you train hard enough, long see, enough. See, here's, here do do reason,
0: here's the reason oh. I don't. The reason <laughs> the chance, I chance, man, so motivational The reason, well, the reason is that we have insane selection bias, right? Where even looking at powerlifting, right? So like what we consider to be like shit genetics for powerlifting within the pool of powerlifters, that guy is still a beast compared to your average soy boy that doesn't lift at all, right? So it's like we have this pool of people who we then establish a bell curve with, but even the people who are on the left side of that bell curve are still better than the average. So, like, to say anybody can deadlift 700, I think, is just being maybe uh, just, you know, just having a distorted view or a skewed view. Because, like, the people who we even have in that conversation are, like, people who can deadlift 500 and 550. And it's, like, in the grand scheme of human capability, like, that is high-level strength, right? So, like, I definitely don't think that... anybody can deadlift 700. Like I have, I have a couple people that I work with who like fantastic clients. They work super hard. It's like, they will never deadlift 600. Like it just, it's sometimes you're just, okay.
2: Let me reframe this then. What if we said, okay, Sean, you're going to pick out someone at 19, 20 years old. You're going to like, they just graduated high school. They're like a year just doing nothing. Right. And you're gonna find this person, and you're gonna say, "Hey, in ten years, I'm gonna fucking kill you. You're gonna die, okay? In ten years, or if you sur- if if in ten years you deadlift seven hundred, you're safe. Okay, that's it. We're, I'll pay for everything. Everything in your life is taken care of. But then in that ten years, <laughs> they get like they get straps, bumpers, devil bar, trend. No, no, no. This is IPF rules. Okay, IPF okay. specs. Everything. Two-hour way in
0: Traveling to South Africa in yeah, <laughs> and, <yeah.
2: laughs> and 10 years, you're competing at, at IPF worlds. You're, we're pulling 700. What is, the, do you think you can do it, Sean? Are, are you, if they have the heart, if they have the courage, okay. They, this is all they care about. This is their life, right? Their family is on the line here. Not just them. We're going to kill the family too. Okay. <laughs> in 10 years. <laughs> it's, so, so we can do it. 10 years, I think is... And, okay, let's give the caveat here. They don't have short arms. They have, like, moderate to longer <laughs> arms. <laughs>
0: All right, so you're already sectioning out a large – Okay, but,
2: but, but, but otherwise they're average, right? Like, they just have a little bit longer reach.
0: So, but- so <laughs> this is interesting because I don't know if you got this analogy just, like, spontaneously. I mean, it's not hard to think of, but I don't know if you ever followed uh, Average Bros Gymnasium the weightlifting gym out in California that Pat Mendez used to train at? I've heard of it for sure. Okay. But I don't
2: know if I followed yet.
0: John Bros had an article about squatting and he said, if I told you in 16 weeks you had to squat whatever or we'll kill your family, would you do a program where you squatted twice a week or would you squat every day? And he was like, no, you'd probably squat every fucking day. So it begs the question, like if you gave me that ultimatum, like would I, would the, would the ph- philosophy of training, the deadlift, for example, change. Like, would you see people deadlifting like four or five times a week? And in a circumstance like that, maybe you would. And then maybe a greater portion of people could deadlift 700 than I currently think. But as things currently stand, like if you were just like told you're gonna have 10 years to deadlift 700 and you have to follow a well-periodized program where you deadlift twice a week, then like,
2: yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I think I, it's because, you know, the, the group that we're looking at as well is people that have you know, a family, they have this big career that they're focused on. Powerlifting isn't the small part of their life.
0: I'm just thinking of like one of the average kids who like, you know, cause you said like they graduated high school. I'm just thinking of one of the kids I went to high school with, you know, played a sport, but wasn't a star on the team, liked to drink, Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily super muscular, but like was just an average build. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm not inclined to say yes like I just think that it's I think that within our pool right like even though we form our own bell curve and say someone has really good genetics for powerlifting and someone has really shit genetics this bell curve can be superimposed on top of the real bell curve of society or of humanity and it's just we're we're still at the top right like yeah. within our group we have the top so like no, I, I don't. I just don't think so. I think- I just
2: don't think the percentage is that big from really good genetics to just fucking average. Well, the USA thing is like, we don't
0: genetics. really know what the genetics is, right? Like you'll hear, yeah. you'll hear people talk about like that, that gene. It's like ACT. So I can't remember the name of the fucking gene that people call like the strength gene, right? And then some people will attribute it to your testosterone, but we obviously know that like there's, there's a normal range where even if you are like on the lower end, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. And some people will attribute it to like fiber type distribution. Like there's so many different things that ultimately play a role that we don't even fully understand. So I just, when we talk about genetics, we're usually just like looking at a guy and we're seeing how much muscle they naturally carry. But like what really underlies all that, it's just, it's hard to, you know, really try to like, assign a percentage of contribution to each of those things.
2: Yeah. Okay. If I, if I said 650, would you say that? <laughs> ten, ten, I, ten, 10 years, bro? 10, ten, years, ten years. You, Sean Noriega, you could get someone to do it. Ten I'd years, give like, you, I
0: bet. I'd give you 600. I'll give you six. Sumo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give you 600. All right. All right. 700 is is definitely pushing it dude. I mean, we have like we have guys who are contending for, you know, like primetime spots in the 83s who don't pull 700. Right? Like they pull just under 700 and they're like 5-7 years in and they're considered like elite. I just I don't I don't know. 700 is it's a tough number for me to concede on. I could
2: do it Right here, right now. Let's fucking do it. Find <laughs> find me the guy. We'll we'll, we'll get him to seven
0: hundred, dude. Go to fucking go to UCLA and go to their fucking sociology department and pick your average male out of there. I will I will pay you. <laughs> I I'll give you my all my client salary for the ten years <laughs> if you can take your average gender studies UCLA soy boy. Maybe and maybe not. Maybe, maybe not that. gender
2: studies, soy boy, but maybe the you know the anything else.
0: Player. The average, <laughs> the male. yeah, yeah. Well, the average male is is definitely drifting more towards that.
2: <laughs> so. Do you think yeah.
0: this
1: would be easier if it was four hundred five bench instead of seven hundred deadlift? Fuck you no. It?
0: No,
2: dude. The work
0: that it took me to get to 405, dude. Well, you can just get someone hella fat. That's the thing, dude. Chance is just biased because he's such a good deadlifter, man. Like, 405 in my mind as well. I'm like, no. Like, there are so many people who will never fucking press 405. The thing I I will say about bench is, like, it's so much more heavily dependent (laughs) on muscle mass, which is like a bottleneck, right? Like, deadlift is just, like, I mean, obviously, muscle mass plays a role, but like, there's just—it's hard to even talk about, like, tangibly what it is. But we just kind of intuitively know it's just like you could just build the strength for it and not like necessarily need a certain amount of muscle to do it. But yeah, yeah I don't know. Anyway, I <laughs> feel like this depends is, on leverage. This argument—it's go, already three in the morning. We've been on this for three hours. It, it, this is going to go on forever. So, all right, guys, um, this is going to be the end of it. I want to end off by saying um, it has been a pleasure. I'm really, really happy that we were able to get back on this. I'm excited to be more consistent with it. We'll have a good rotation, usually of two to three people at any given time on this podcast. Hopefully, we'll have Jaron, Michael, and Eric join us at some point. I know Jaron is super busy running meets right now, but if you made it this far, thank you so much for watching or listening. Let us know what you think. About Chance's proposition. I don't want to argue this anymore, but let us know what you think of which side that you're on. Um, one last reminder, or not last reminder, but one last reminder for the episode. If you are in Texas the weekend of August 28th, we will be hosting a seminar. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, as always, my name is Sean Oriega. I'm going to give my No Bad Days outro just like I do on YouTube. There are no bad days. Really enjoyed this, guys. See you in the next episode and uh, take care. Adios. See you.